Beverly Cinema presents the Pure Cinema Podcast, and we are going westerns. Joining me is Mr. Brian Sauer. And that's Mr. Elric Kane starting us off there. Uh, we realize we never say our names on the show. I don't think we had ever introduced ourselves in four seasons <laughs> of the show. Maybe in the first season. I wonder if we even did on the first episode. I haven't been back to that. I think we just take it for granted you know who we are, but uh, <laughs> if this is your first time listening, then you wouldn't. Uh, so we'd sound like a couple jackasses from an old Western. So, uh, but this was, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, what we've jumped, this is our first time in four years getting to really delve into Westerns. Uh, we are going obviously a very specific route with post 69 Westerns, but for me, this was like utter joy. I, I almost didn't want the show to start. So as we didn't have to <laughs> finish the research and, and it's not cause, just cause I love Westerns. I think, you know, a lot of cinephiles, you know, really like Westerns, but there's just something about this period that I was just really enjoying seeing a lot of new films too yeah no it's great i mean it's it's kind of crazy that we haven't done a western show yet we've been talking about doing it since i want to say like the first season we were talking about a western show um and then you came up with this idea of a divider you know where we found the idea of a watershed and using 1969 and a couple films from that year one specifically as our jumping off point to break up the century, I guess, if you will, of Westerns. How did you, what made you think of that? Just out of curiosity. And we haven't even said what movie, but yeah. I guess it'll be in the title, title of the episode. Well, and, so. and the shadow, I, I will say, having now, you know, done some of the research and, you know, it's hard to get out of the 70s, to be perfectly honest, um, with my picks, uh, is the film that we're talking about also casts a very long shadow over that next decade in some ways too. So uh, we are obviously talking about uh, Bloody Sam's, you know, hyper-realistic Vietnam-influenced Old West for Warner Brothers, and that is The Wild Bunch, which, you know, is a watershed uh, film. You know, it's, it's just one of those movies that's just, it's unlike any other Western before it, and it's unlike any Western really after it, even though there's shades of it, obviously, uh, through a lot of the films we might even be talking about today. What in the hell's the matter with you, old man? Leave him alone! Oh. He's gonna get us all killed. I'm gonna get rid of him. You're not getting rid of anybody. We're gonna stick together just like it used to be. When you side with a man, you stay with him, and if you can't do that, you're like some animal. You're finished. We're finished. All of us. But it is—it's an incredible piece of work, and it's a—you know—from everything I've I've heard or read on this film over the years, is you know he just kind of had unparalleled, you know, studio support while he was making it, and then on the back end, less of that, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Which, and then when these things are you know financially don't do well, then that's a big reason why they stopped, uh, you know, making them. But yeah, it felt like 1969 for the Western. For that reason, and, and you know, the the other one is because in my brain I was wrong about it. Uh, I always thought uh, once upon a time the West was also sixty nine, but it's sixty eight, and you know, I'd say that's probably my favorite. It's it's, it's probably my favorite Western, and probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, seeing that on the big screen changed kind of uh, yeah, how I saw a lot of movies. Just kind of blew my mind, and and so I think with these two movies, uh, and that's obviously a film that's definitely looking back at a genre and kind of being a 
it just feels like it's like the end of something. It's the end of a certain type of film. Uh, they're very different, obviously, because uh, Peckinpah is far more realistic. He's not an, interested in anything that doesn't seem completely authentic. And Leone is uh, just such a beautiful stylist, you know, and, and they're just such huge movies. So that, that was the year uh, demarcation, because obviously we want to go back and look at all the Western, you know, classical Westerns. I'm sure we'll do a classic. We could do it by decade of those earlier years to break it up if we wanted. But I think post-69, and, you know, we could pick 10 or 20 movies easily. Uh, but, you know, we're going to limit it to our um, normal five movies because. Um, that said, uh, there's one other major thing that cr- that I realized after we had already decided this, and I only realized it after I started watching a couple movies, is there's actually something maybe even more important that happens that year, uh, even more important than The Wild Bunch, which is Easy Rider. You know, this used to be a hell of a good country. I can't understand what's going on with it. Man, everybody got chicken, that's what happened. Hey, we can't even get into, like, a second-rate hotel. I mean, a second-rate motel, you dig? Don't they think we're going to cut their throat or something, man? Like, they're scared, man. Oh, they're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Hey, man. All we represent to them, man, is somebody who needs a haircut. Oh, no. What you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about, all right. But talking about it and being it, that's two different things. I mean, it's real hard to be free when you are bought and sold in the marketplace. Of course, don't ever tell anybody that they're not free, because then they're going to get real busy killing and maiming to prove to you that they are. Oh, yeah, they're going to talk to you and talk to you and talk to you about individual freedom. But they see a free individual, it's going to scare them. No, well, don't make them running scared. No, it makes them dangerous. And so that's 69, which I just had kind of left my mind when we... Uh, set out to do this topic and to realize that you realize okay so that is the ultimate shift uh to the indie to the motorbike replacing the horse as joe dante always talks about uh on the trailers from hell podcast you know it's, it's come up quite a bit uh his view of why westerns aren't really made anymore um and it's also like the you know counter it, it that's the new counterculture outlaw you know, whereas we had the mythic West and, you know, these Western characters, I think that was, you know, quickly replaced by the guy on a bike. Um, so I think I, it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of remarkable that all, the, you know, those two uh, major, uh, you know, like you said, watershed films came out in 69. So it does seem like the perfect year. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and in doing a little bit of the research on Wild Bunch, for some reason, Easy Rider did come up and something I didn't realize was that the character names for Peter Fonda and for Dennis Hopper are Wyatt and Billy very deliberately, you know, Western icon, yeah. iconic, you know, I don't know that Peter Fonda's name is ever said. Right. Cause he's known as kind of Captain America. Right. So it's a, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I believe he's Wyatt as in Wyatt Earp and yeah. Billy has been in Billy the kid. So obviously it's a very Western kind of movie in a lot of ways, but I didn't realize down to even the character, the main character names, which is cool. Well, and they're going backwards into the old West, right? They're traveling across America and you know, there's, it obviously ends in bloodshed. So yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, iconography that's similar. And I, I found a couple of my picks 
had direct connections, not not consciously at all. I picked the movie and then kind of realized, oh, they have connections to Easy Rider directly. Uh, a couple of them, you know, very much so. So, yeah, it's fascinating. You know, it's I'd love, love to read more about 1969 as a, you know, game changer in that industry. I, I know there's a lot about Easy Rider, obviously, because of uh, Easy Riders to Raging Bulls. But, um, but in terms of Wild Bunch, you know, it, it, also I just think Peckinpah, I don't know about you, but I, I purposely, it was kind of hard. I purposely didn't pick any Peckinpah. Uh, in my five, which wasn't easy because <laughs> he's, you know, he's just really one of my favorite filmmakers. And, uh, you know, he's made a couple of films I just utterly love in this post period. But I, because of because I knew we we're kind of talking about the shadow of this film, I, I stayed away from that. Yeah, I ended up staying away, too, although I was real tempted to mention Ballad of Cable Hogue again, because that is still probably my favorite Peck and Palm movie. I thought you were going to bring but that one up. I had a feeling. So I, I, I was close, but I did talk about it on cult movies. I want to say three, one of, I feel like another Danny Perry episode. Somehow it, it came up and I was able to pick it already on the show. So I was like, let me just pick something else. But when I did the initial draft of this list, Cable Hogue was in my top one or two that I would have picked. It's still one, one of my favorites and one of the most tender, especially if you watch The Wild Bunch, it's really interesting to see this tender love story that at its center is kind of about revenge, but it's really not. It's about a lot of other things. And it really shows a side of Sam Peckinpah that I think if you've only seen, you know, the big action stuff, you wouldn't be prepared for. Uh, but I think will undoubtedly be moved by if you get to it. So anyway, I didn't pick that <laughs> for what that's worth. Yeah, uh, but I almost did. No, and there was a couple, a couple that we mentioned. So we in a couple that would have actually probably made my list had they not come up on previous. Just quickly, the proposition, which is a contemporary Australian, you know, very violent western, and probably my favorite like modern in like the last fifteen years western in terms of just. Uh, I think it's a fantastic movie and. Um, uh, Monty Hellman's China Nine, Liberty Thirty Seven, which I'm just a huge fan of. Uh, unfortunately, you know there really isn't a great version of it out there. But uh, we've talked about both of those on previous episodes. So I, you know, I spent a lot of my time actually watching new films, and that's what made this so joyful. <laughs> you know, just diving into new westerns as an excuse is good enough reason to have a show called Pure Cinema. <laughs> you know, I agree. I agree. Yeah, westerns. It's crazy that you know it's probably the most popular genre in all of cinema especially american cinema if you take like percentage wise how many were made since the beginning of movies um and yet i feel like it's a genre that is neglected it does have resurgences here and there uh it doesn't totally go away but um and it is obviously so cinematic that it makes sense that it sticks around and there's some great just simple things about the plots of westerns that I think we can all relate to that you can apply allegorical things to you can do there's just so much about it it's so malleable in that way but I am kind of bummed that we are not currently in a state of too many westerns happening and I don't don't think we ever will be again and I mean I think you'll have classic westerns get made you know every few years uh because people are looking back it's almost nostalgically but you know i think for one two things one is this is the only only true uh solely american genre so even when the italian films are ripping it off it's still solely an american genre because it is about the american west and i I can't think of another genre that just speaks like even the gangster film is you know they're obviously coming from mafia and, and italy so in a lot of ways so i think the of all the genres this is the most american and the most mythic uh which makes a lot of sense and i think the other thing that's happened is 
you know, there was a period where if you said the word genre film, it would mean a Western, you know, it wouldn't have meant different genres. It would have meant the Western. And I think now we're in a place where if I said genre film to any young person, I think they would nine out of 10 times think we're talking about a horror film. You know, yep. that's the genre film. And so, and, and then some, and probably we might not be far away from it being the superhero genre, uh, which has really kind of taken the place of the popularity. And you think about it, the superhero film has a lot in common with the Western because uh, it's something that like, you know, the older people are watching uh, and then the young kids are watching. A lot of, a lot of people who fell in love with movies were, were kids watching old Westerns on TV, but then they kept watching them their whole life. And then they're old men watching Westerns. So it's, you know, it's interesting. Whereas now we're in that kind of uh, period of the superhero film so so even the word genre i think is pretty fascinating but yeah i I think this is i think there's so much good stuff uh post 69 still being made obviously in the 70s a lot of stuff still in production i mean a lot of really hard-hitting movies not just not just fluff and then recently we've been lucky enough to have a few i don't think i got into the 90s even this time i think all of mine were pretty early so maybe one day we'll do a you know to post nineties. <laughs> so I can list a few more. Yeah, we did. We didn't do that. Or most, I think I'm mostly with you, except I do have one post 2000 in my list, but I would be more than happy to dive into a post nineties episode at some point, because there's just so much ground to cover and so many interesting films that, uh, I don't, I liked only having five slots. Although like, you know, you said there's a lot, that you couldn't even really get out of the 70s in that way but it's all good no five's good because it gives it gives us some clarity and then we've got a few each that we will rattle off not go as deep in at the end because it's always fun to just mention some of the ones we just watched in prep of this that might maybe we hadn't seen before um and maybe some people want to check out I, I found a lot of stuff on amazon prime got to see a lot of stuff that way so uh this stuff is out there and readily available cool well let's let's hear I want, i'm very curious what some of these first time watches that you had were what was your starting point so my number five um, which really is the number five on here. And and there was a couple better films that really could have taken the spot. Uh, and I would not say this is a great movie, but this is a, <laughs> and, and this isn't like a hit on it. And, and if, you, if you've seen this, you'll agree. But it's a very interesting movie and it's a movie I'd never seen. I'd heard the title before, really didn't know anything about it. And that is Kid Blue. And so Kid Blue was on the run once more. And all because he did what he had to do. But wait a minute, folks. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Bickford Wiener, alias Kid Blue, and his gang were once regarded as the worst bad men in the West. Ah, shoot, missed again. For obvious reasons. If you were Kid Blue, what would you do? Turn me town. Get a job. <laughs> there isn't a town in Texas to give a man like you a job. All you know how to do is rob and steal and kill. And so Kid Blue set out to start a new life in the town of Dimebox, Texas. A friendly place filled with friendly people. I'm friendly. What the hell do you want? Like Meme John Simpson. This is a good, honest town full of hardworking folks that expect me, their sheriff, to protect them against any white trash that might be moving in. Preacher Bob. Now you must believe. I trust you, Jesus! I trust you, Jesus! I trust you, Jesus! Old Coyote. You think I'm not a good fighter? Miss Janet Conforto. I want me some boots. Now, why don't we go to my hotel and count toes? 
Reese Ford. Who'd ever thought that I was going to be a friend of Kid Blue? Ah, Lee! I'm sure this is the way the Greeks did it, huh? Well, uh, we ain't decent. I should say you're not. And his lovely wife, Molly. Don't you be funning around with me now. Why do you always think I'm funning? You know, people get killed in this kind of nights. If you were Kid Blue, what would you do? This is a scandal, Wiener. Listen to me. We can get that money. It would be just like the old days. We could get it. Directed by James Froley, 1973. Are you familiar with this one? I'm familiar, but I don't think I've seen I know it's Dennis Hopper and the director of the Muppet movie, and that's all I got. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, th- that's one of the crazy things. Yeah, is the director of the Muppet movie, um, James Froley. So this is an interesting one. It almost, it's not as wacky as, um, what is that Robert Downey Sr. one? Um that I'm forgetting. Oh, oh, Greaser's Palace. It, it's not as not as like outrageously surrealist as that. It's not really surreal. It's but it is wacky. They're wacky characters. So it's the turn of the century. So it's a little later. The old west is basically fading, but it's still there. And Kid Blue, which is his nickname, is and he's definitely modeled after Billy the Kid. Is you know good, perfect. It's 1973. You know, still young, young Dennis Hopper. Um, they're trying to rob a train. He's a famous train robber, but the group he's robbing it with are kind of all screw and the one guy like does the thing where you jump from the ledge onto the train but he like falls too far and goes past the train <laughs> and so it's just a, a mistake from the get-go uh so basically it just kind of opens with this failed botch robbery and then all these kind of criminals like they're almost like the james gang hanging out afterwards and everyone's like what are you gonna do next and dennis hopper just says you know what i'm just gonna find a small town and i'm gonna get a job and so it's this very strange movie where it's literally about a you know a guy like Jesse James type character who just wants to move to a town and go straight and and have a menial uh non-exciting existence and it doesn't so it's really definitely a film uh you know all about i would guess it's kind of the end of the free love era and how do you how did these people you know post you know drug culture go straight and try to go back into society like that's what i think at least on the surface a big part of what this movie's trying to say it's definitely about capitalism and uh you know because it has this giant um it's a ceramic novelty company that makes makes uh, the first ashtrays is kind of the big industry in the town but um but once what's what's rewarding about this movie and this was uh amazon prime and it was sd quality like i had, I had to uh, buy it so it's not the best quality but it was you know at least i could watch it um What's what's interesting is it has a fantastic cast and everyone is great in it. Uh, like Dennis Hopper is mostly just serviceable. Like he just is kind of going through. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like one of his standout roles in this in this particular film, but he's good. But everyone around him is brilliant. Uh, so it's um, so yeah. When he so he does go to the small town of Dimebox, uh, takes a bunch of really crap menial jobs, sweeping for the. Uh, the uh, barber and the barber's played by M. Emmett Walsh, so you get some M. Emmett in there. Uh, nice. Great act, and he, everyone treats him just terribly. Like treats Hopper like <laughs> like a dog shit on the end of the, on your shoe, and that's part of the, his trouble. Is he's trying to fit back in society, but no one wants to give him respect. He's still a long hair, you know. He's still, uh, you know, he's still, I guess, a hippie in the, in the modern sense. Um, 
And so he, he lives in like a boarding house and starts meeting this other cast of characters. And the most interesting relationship that, that strikes up is from uh, the greatest actor to ever live, uh, Warren Oates. Uh, of course, nice. another, I think he'll come up a couple times and connects very well to uh, the Wild Bunch. Uh, him and his wife, uh, Lee Purcell, uh, who's just stunning, uh, they are... They're kind of like basically portrayed as like swingers, I guess. <laughs> it's it's really one of the. I'd almost recommend people watch this movie just for the oddness of what Warren Oates, the subtext of their relationship in this movie, because it's basically him and this woman who's much younger than him. He works at uh, has a good job at this ceramic company, and he keeps telling Dennis Hopper stories about the Greeks and how male relationships were <laughs> like they like to bathe together and that's just normal that's normal there and so like there's a scene where he talks dennis hopper into having a bath with him and his wife's like pouring the water and it, you're watching this movie going this is really strange like this is very clear to me that um you know warren oates wants to bone him so uh it's but it's pretty funny and oates is oates is having a lot of funny uh then you get peter boyle in one of the wackier roles which is saying something he's playing a preacher uh, he's only recently a preacher but he's uh in this town but he's also building kind of the first airplane and he's trying to making out of sticks and he's kind of on the top of this mountain and you know it's going to play a role later in the film when it's introduced it's pretty it's pretty damn clear uh, and he's a fun character uh but the guy who steals the whole movie ben johnson another uh, wild bunch connector uh ben nice. who i love i love ben johnson and he's playing me too he's playing mean john simpson who's the uh sheriff who just from frame one knows that hopper's no good doesn't know who he is no, no one knows he's kid blue now kid blue is like a major criminal but nobody realized this guy is kid blue he's he's got a different name uh bickford wainer is his name in the in the story so ben johnson's always giving him grief and he's going around and he's always like you know he's just on top of anything any misdoings in the town uh and then basically you know he he tries to go straight he ends up having a relationship with warren oates's you know wife there's all these kind of funny uh, strange happenings throughout and by the end of the story also there's a lot about the kind of indian culture because there's three indian native americans in the story that hopper kind of identifies more with them than he does the rest of the town and so by the end of course he gets frustrated and realizes you know what it'd be a hell of a lot easier just to rob rob the damn uh <laughs> ceramic store and the bank and uh, to hell with it so he kind of enlists uh, his american indian friends and they uh you know he kind of pulls a, a job and then it just kind of it just kind of goes into kind of farce almost so it's definitely comedy it's kind of verging it's not that funny it's it's more of a movie than last movie you know which is you know obvious kind of an anti-movie um but it's it's pretty wild and i I definitely would say if you're a like me a major oats fan the stuff between them is hilarious and bizarre and i think it's kind of getting to again the hippie generation right like two men probably could do some drugs and hook up and it would be no big deal and in this but in the west that would seem you know really kind of outlandish um and yeah it feels like they it feels like they're trying to study the microcosm of contemporary 70s culture in a western but not with a script that's tight enough to really you know pull that off so it, it i don't know if that part is c- clear enough but but it's fun and the cast fun uh i would say one last thing is the writer and this is just interesting for people who've been you know paying attention to the show is bud shrake and he also wrote uh jw coop which was just in the last calendar and a movie I know you're a fan of, or at least I believe you're a fan of, Tom Horn. So he wrote yeah. he wrote those two films. So, uh, so you know, has some good lineage there. Very cool. No, that's neat, man. No, that's one I've definitely heard of. Um, I believe 
Noah Segan, actor Noah Segan's Twitter handle is Kid Blue. That's the only reason and, I've ever heard of it. And, and I think they even yeah. call him that in some of the movies um, by uh, Ryan Johnson that he's been in. So clearly it must be an interesting, would love to know the story with that. But um, I, I was aware of the movie before I saw that, but I was like, I'm always intrigued by people who decide to use something like that as a Twitter handle. And what is it about that movie that really spoke to them? And, but I don't, that's really neat. That's one that I definitely haven't seen, but have been aware of and it's been on the periphery forever. So yeah, if you like strange I, or counterculture Westerns, I like to put one in here just because of what the period we're talking about. And this one, yeah. this one's, I think sums up quite a lot of that pretty well. And it's definitely odd. Like I was, yeah, there's moments where I, I thought were genuinely funny though. Well, that's cool. I mean, um, we're, as per often, uh, kind of in simpatico here because I'm going to open with a, more of a straight comedy western um, from 1985, and it's uh, Rustler's Rhapsody. Finally, after years of waiting, the American western returns to the screen with the kind of hero you've been waiting to see. He's coming! And he's standing in the saddle! Standing in the saddle! It's Rex O'Hurlihan, the singing cowboy, and his wonder horse, Wildfire, in Rustler's Rhapsody. There's action. Don't just stand there, boys. Get him. Now! Romance. How was it? Oh, it was nice. It was, uh, a lot of fun. Yes, that was really terrific. A definite high point. Come you want to be a sidekick, you got to learn the ropes. Thrills. And spills. Good, very good. Thank you very much. And drama. Either you get your rifle and come with me, or I'll shoot your wife in the shoulder. Starring Tom Berenger as Rex O'Hurlihan. I'm a little nervous. It's just Walker. <laughs> in Rustler's Rhapsody. From the director of Police Academy. From Paramount. Oh, I don't know that one. So this is the one I mentioned briefly back on the romance episode because it is directed by Hugh Wilson, who also directed Blast from the Past, but more notably directed Police Academy in 1984. So I was just noticing that this came out in 85, and it's a weird movie. It's a strange one. Um, It must be, I mean, I can't say for sure, but it must be a case of like great success on a studio comedy leads to yeah, you do whatever you want, man, um, because it really is an interesting one that nobody talks about anymore. So I don't know that it, you know, set the box office on fire or anything. And I don't know that it was ever destined to, but I think for people like you and me, it's a lot of fun. Um, it is firstly a Walter Hill production. Mm. So that is a nice little something. Um, written and directed by Hugh Wilson. Tom Berenger plays the lead. He plays a cowboy named Rex O'Hurlihan. The Singing Cowboy. Mm-hmm. He's sort of a la Roy Rogers or Johnny Mac Brown. Buster Scruggs. Uh, yeah, well, that's the other thing. I was thinking this could easily have been an influence on the Coens. Um, he he doesn't sing too much. There's a little bit of singing in the front of the movie, but the tone of it is, I, I want to say, very similar, especially to the opening sequence of Buster Scruggs where we're introduced to that character in terms of like a self-awareness, a comedy and a violence, you know, it has these things about it that uh, are very similar, but this is like Hugh Wilson's blazing saddles for the eighties. 
where he's adding in commentary and awareness of spaghetti westerns as well. So it's kind of an update on that. It's it's definitely not as I mean it's not as you know crazy gag a minute as you know Blazing Saddles or Airplane, but it definitely seems to be trying to be a subtler version of that sort of thing. Um, it opens in this very meta way where they they use. Uh, what's his name? G.W. Bailey, who was Lieutenant Harris, and you'd recognize him in a heartbeat. He was Lieutenant Harris in Police Academy. Oh, He's yeah. the one that the bad sort of uh, lieutenant that's against the, the the good recruits that we like. Mahoney! Already told you once, nobody screws with me. Well, maybe you'll meet the right girl and all that'll change. Get out of here now! He plays the town drunk in this movie, and he is also the narrator of the film. So he opens it by saying, this is how every Rex O'Hurlihan Western ever started. And it shows uh, Rex chasing this stage that's being robbed by bandits in this black and white square frame. And then the narrator mentions the years that his star shined the brightest from nineteen late 1930s to 1947. And then he says, I always wondered what it would be like if those Westerns were made today and suddenly the film like morphs from black and white to color and the frame ex- expands to 185 <laughs> and we see Rex actually kind of react to that. <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened? And then the robbers that he's chasing suddenly turn around and start chasing after him and he's totally thrown off. Uh, he tries to like jump into a tree branch to get away and the branch breaks and he falls and like hurts himself. So it's like that moment of like Superman is suddenly mortal. Um, but then we, you come to realize he um, actually sort of gets his mojo back but he's now in this sort of modern meta world, but it's still a Western. I don't know. But there's a great bit where he gets, he runs into the town drunk, G.W. Bailey in this bar. And he, he's like, you want to know what's going on? Like his, he fully admits his character is very much like the guy who tells you the scoop of the, like, this is the so-and-so, this is the bad guy of the town. And, and, you know, he gives like all the exposition and there's a great bit where Rex explains to him how every western town is the same, and he runs through all the stock characters. Yeah, see, this is the West. Out here in the West. I know all about the West. I travel all over it, from town to town. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah, but see, in this town... This town's no different than any other western town. They're all identical. They are? Uh Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, really. In every town, there's a bar like that one we just came from. Oh, they might not all have continuous entertainment like that, but they're basically the same. The sheriff's totally stereotypical, and so is the saloon owner with that pencil-thin mustache. Oh, no, 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 no. Those guys are unique. I'm sorry, but I just don't believe you. Okay. Do you have a very pretty but somehow asexual new school, Marm? Yeah. <laughs> is the blacksmith the big friendly guy who only gets mad when somebody burns down his barn? Yeah. Is the editor of the paper a young idealist who's hocked everything to buy his press? Damn. See? Hey, hey, I know one thing that's different about Oakwood Estates. I know that none of these other towns have... The railroad coming through? All western towns have the railroad coming through? Yep. Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. One last thing. Do all these towns have a town drunk? 
Sure. It's like really making fun of the idea of, of a stock Western town and these characters that you see in a lot of these Western serial type movies. Um, but it but it, it makes for an interesting setup. And then basically you have Andy Griffith and Fernando Ray playing the sort of bad guy bosses, the railroad guy. And I forget Andy. I think Andy Griffith is just like a rich rancher guy. But there's just all kinds of silly things in it where Rex's character can only shoot people in the hands. Like he, he can't kill anybody because <laughs> so, he's a good guy. And there's a great bit towards the end where they bring in another good guy played by uh, Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son. And they have this weird standoff where they can't, they can't do underhanded things to each other. And it's like, who's the better good guy? And it, so it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it's, it's definitely goofy. Um, Mary Lou Henner plays like the hooker with a heart of gold who doesn't sleep with anybody, but just talks to them. And it's just silly, but I really like it. And this time I liked it even more than the last time. I think because I was getting in the headspace of this episode, I was like, Oh man, this is even better than I remembered. Um, so just lots of silly commentary and Tom Berenger is really surprisingly. I, I think Tom Berenger doesn't get enough credit in general. I think you and I both appreciate him on a lot of levels, but that said, I haven't thought of him in comedy much. Yeah, no, he, I mean, outside of major league, I think people don't think about, his abilities as a comic actor, but he is really well suited to this aw shucks, sort of self-aware, sort of self-conscious, yet confident uh, Western hero, and he just nails it. He absolutely nails it at the heart of the movie, so I don't know. I like it a lot, and it's one, like I said, that isn't really talked about a lot from this period uh, and it does seem like after watching it now, I'm like, this does seem like a movie where somebody cashed in a ticket then and made the movie they wanted to make. But but it, I think it's really memorable. So it is available streaming everywhere that you want to look. Pretty much you can rent it. It's Rustler's Rhapsody from 1985. See, 85 seems kind of pretty late in the uh, right. Yeah, to be satirizing westerns. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's a labor of love kind of movie is what my guess. Hmm, no, that sounds cool. Per- probably perfect time to watch it after you do all these westerns. <laughs> Get it yeah, all it back is. in your head. It, it totally, you'll love it. Uh, there was one IMDb uh, note I have to add to. Uh, uh, Kid Blue, which I don't know if it's true, but it's definitely worth sharing, which is uh, during filming, War Notes would repeat, uh, reportedly invite co-stars Ben Johnson and Peter Boyle to his trailer for a three-course meal made up of magic mushrooms on toast, dexedrin and brandy, and vanilla LSD. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the concept of the acid western has its roots very much in acid. <laughs> as it would, Isn't that awesome? Um, I hope that's true. Uh, it makes a lot of sense <laughs> to the movie. Um, my number four <clears throat> is another new new view uh hadn't even heard of this film this is probably my pick of all my new views i thought it was just fucking so this is so much my jam uh the last hard men charlton heston as the retired sheriff who thought he'd locked up his past behind him there's a man coming for me i can't just sit there on the couch and then wait for it James Coburn is the escaped prisoner on your feet, Provo, who unleashed the past in a shower of violence. An innocent girl is the bait in the deadliest game of all. No, give me any more goddamn trouble. 
open your eyes and you would see or talk again. You won't be pretty no more. You know why? My father will kill you. I'm going to get myself provisioned and get in his track, and I'm going to stay there till I get my daughter back. Two crazed men going back in time with their guns as judge and jury. Yeah, well, I don't know where you're going. You're going about six feet under. That's where you're going. They got seven guns, you're one. Everybody's got to die. Nobody's got to give up. You know, they kept me alive all those years. And that humor. There's no one I'd be standing here with you one day. I know what you're going to do. Not me. What they're going to do. Vengeance becomes a brutal scene played before a helpless father, and everyone's life hangs in the balance. I mean, shoot! What about Susan? <laughs> Two men chasing each other. Fighting against the reality of time. Living by the old rules. Dueling to the death. Driven by revenge. These are the last hard men. Directed by Andrew V. McLargan from 76. Do you know this one? I know it, but I can't remember if I've seen it. I feel like Heston. you'd remember. It's got Heston in it? Oh, yeah. This is this. Yeah. So it's the director of Mitchell and the Wild Geese. <laughs> uh, but here's the interesting connection to our last episode. Uh, it's also written by Greerden Trueblood, who wrote Candy Snatchers. And, jo- and Jaws 3D. So that was something I was not expecting. I didn't. Wow. Fi- I didn't find it through that. This was, this came through literally just the beautiful. When you just go on Amazon, you go uh, customers who bought this also check this out. Unlike Netflix, where that search option is utterly terrible, on Amazon you will find some really interesting movies that you could never just find searching because you wouldn't know what to look for. So um, I hadn't heard of this one, and this is, you know, it's a gem. It's a vicious. Uh, definitely in the vein of Peckinpah. Uh, I would literally say that it's High Noon, almost essentially is a remake of High Noon, but way more violent and, and uh, nihilistic, basically. I think it's a, it's a na- I'd go so far as to say it's a pretty nasty movie. But, uh, but if that doesn't sound like your bag, as soon as I tell you it's uh, Charlton Heston as an, aging, as, a, as an aging retired lawman who is out of the life and just wants to kind of, you know, look after his beautiful daughter, played by you know goddess of that era barbara hershey um and the only snatch only snatch uh, catch here is that um a guy he took down years before who is as good as he is like you know Heston at his at, at his best was the quickest but there was a guy who we came across once who was as quick as he was but he got the upper hand on him once and got to put him away played by james coburn and anytime we're talking westerns with coburn uh the charm of james coburn's smile you know, from hard times that we, we've talked about many times is just so incredible. But in he, in this film, he is playing the big bad. His name's Zach Provo. He is a uh, half Native American, half, uh, you know, so he's called a half breed throughout. And he is vicious. And the movie opens with him on a chain gang. And he pulls he pulls a clever move while they're working on a railway to pretend like he's fallen. And then he gets, you know, grabs one of the guns of the of the cops and blows everyone away and, you know, frees all these criminals. He gets a group of them and says, we're going to go back and I'm going to get revenge on the guy who put me away here. So it's literally the high noon kind of setup. He's going to come to this town and get revenge on Heston. And he knows more about Heston than Heston realizes he knows about his daughter and everything. Uh, even better, the sheriff in the town, now that Heston's retired, is Michael Parks, a young Michael Parks, who is phenomenal. 
like Michael Park's just one of those actors like you know when he's in the right role and in the right state of sobriety I guess you know it can be really incredible and yeah you know he's not in this movie that much he's a support guy but it's it's so much fun to see him and uh so it's so it's literally uh you know this this group of escaped convicts coming uh for is it sam brigade is his name uh heston heston has huge mutton chops and this mustache he looks so great and he's like he looks like a retiree that's what's cool about it he doesn't look like the macho guy um and coburn is just you know totally sadistic and hell-bent on revenge that's all he wants so you know me uh, our second episode ever i believe second episode was our revenge episode was or is in the first couple um and i mean and and had i seen this movie back then this very well could have made that that list um and it's and it's just yeah it's it's a nasty brutal movie um it feels like it could have been developed for peckinpah and that he might have been like "Ah, i'm over that (laughs) you know um (laughs) it even has some of the slow most you know slow motion to accentuate the violence and uh, weirdly enough and this would make sense on the candy snatcher connection there's a couple moments that remind me of just a couple not the whole tone not to put you off but of some of the style of last house on the left there Mm. which is also comes with a warning and this is this is very true of a couple of the movies i saw uh where rape there is a rape and there's a rape in another movie i I saw where it plays pretty key role in the narrative and there's a part of you as a you know modern viewer that it's like obviously a turnoff and it's and it's ugly to watch this even more so when it's barbara hershey and you know it's unfortunately in in her career i think that she played a lot of uh, victims strangely enough but um but you also then think about the west and you go you know you're talking about a time period where you know, women were just incredibly powerless, you know, in terms of society, you know, during that, that period in general, you know, uh, and so it makes a lot of sense that some of these things, as long as, you know, they sometimes are obviously just being used as plot devices, but I think they're also there to kind of um, get across the cla- uh, the power d- dynamics of the time. And so obviously him being his daughter, she, uh, you know, Provo comes back to ab- abducts her and then it becomes the whole movie is building towards this, like literally like a 30 minute, uh, kind of showdown between uh, Heston and Coburn, you know, and it's it's really the whole ad campaign was um, it was 20th Century Fox, and the whole the ad campaign was one of them is going to die hard. <laughs> 20th Century Fox, <laughs> so die hard literally probably comes from the phrasing of this tagline, um, and it just kept saying, yeah, well, one of them will survive, only one will survive was kind of the so it was it's pretty pretty damn cool. Um, and you know it's it has oh it has this one line that I did write down because it's just great dialogue where Heston his you know his daughter's trying to convince him not to go because she knows you know this guy's as good as him and there's a good chance he'll die and he's just gotta he just says everyone's gotta die but no one's gotta give up and I was like oh, that's classic like classic you know good guy Heston and yeah it's no this is a really good movie and this is a movie that uh, deserves you know a great blu-ray in my opinion like this would be a gem for someone to put out well actually now that you mention it i was just gonna say um i thought i remembered this being on a blu-ray that phil blankenship had mentioned to me way back when we did the first calendar episode Hmm. they i was like oh i wish uh, you know butch and sundance the early years was on blu-ray and phil was like actually it's on a four disc or a four movie set there's a movie set called timeless westerns from shout factory and it includes Butch and Sundance, the early years. 
It includes Rio Conchos, which I believe Pat Healy called out yeah. as one of his favorites that he would program at the New Bev. Uh, Take a Hard Ride and The Last Hard Men. Oh. And it's cheap. It's like $9.24 on Amazon right now. It, so. it does make sense because even on Amazon, the uh, the streaming version was HD. It looked great. So so that, nice. that's good here. Yeah, I'll be I'll definitely be buying that then. No, this is this is a bit of a gem. I got to say, this is, for me, was one of those ones I'd never even heard the title before. So, and the fact that it's connected to so many of these people, I, I you know, these are it's also fun to see like the old classic stars but in a new western so in a post 69 western you've got these guys who are especially in heston's case but also coburn who had been in a lot of movies from that time period so uh yeah no i think some people will really enjoy discovering this one yeah that's great no i have not seen it aware of it i had it on a dvd but i haven't watched it so on the list it goes um good good stuff well i've got one that i had actually slotted for a potential we had talked about hopefully doing a 70s cult episode at some point like we did with the 80s and the 90s and 2000s. Oh, for sure. It's definitely going to be this season, for sure. Yeah, we're so we're still probably doing that. But this is one I had ordered for that mm. because I was doing some cult movie research ahead of that. And I was like, oh, what is this movie? Uh, it's called Red Sun, and it's from 1971. It's a gift for a present from my imperial majesty, the Mikado. Oh, gold. Real gold, huh? You tell your emperor. I thank him. Crude is no ordinary man. I don't care what he is. Look, Ambassador. We don't have horses, and Gosh has a two hour head start, and he's got 20 mean guns to back him up. Hell, even if I do catch up with him, the trouble just... Silence! Each of these nuts represents a day. I have given him seven days to recover the Mikado's sword. In seven days, I will pass here again. The same train. Suppose he doesn't make it in seven days. For the disgrace of failure, he will rip his abdomen. Well, that's something I'd like to see. And he might as well do it now, because I'm not taking it. Um, this is directed oh, is by... Oh, that got Toshiro Mifune and a whole bunch of other guys in it? And Charles Bronson yeah. and Elaine DeLong. Okay, I have heard of this, and I... Th- what, what, what did... I, I might have been looking at it for the exact same reason, but I was just like, how the hell does that movie exist? <laughs> it's definitely one of those. Um, so it's directed by Terrence Young, who is a James Bond guy. Yeah. Directed Dr. No, From Russia With Love, Thunderball. He also did uh, Wait Until Dark. But this is a really interesting Western, like I said, 1971. And it is basically about you know Alain Delon plays like a real baddie which is really interesting Mm. to see I mean it's not like he hasn't played sort of bad guy characters with charisma before especially in like the Jean-Pierre Melville world and what have you but um so he's I've never seen him in this kind of a role before I've never seen him in a western I know I think he's done other westerns but I, I haven't seen him um so he plays part of this like bad western gang that it also includes charles bronson uh and they rob a train that includes a car full of a japanese ambassador who is traveling to washington dc to i believe give us like a special sword to either the president or the vice president or somebody and shiro mifune plays one of his guards in in the train um so they rob the train 
And, you know, he basically tells them, the ambassador guy tells his guards to stand down. And Alain Delon takes the sword that is meant for, you know, this diplomat to give to whoever in the U.S. government. And so then it becomes a thing where... And then, slight spoiler alert, he sort of double-crosses Charles Bronson, leaves him for dead. And so Mifune makes it his mission to get the sword back. And he, he has 10 days to do it. And if he doesn't do it in those 10 days, he's going to uh, kill himself. <laughs> he's going to, you know, yeah. do the do the samurai Very thing carried, and stab yeah. himself. Yep. And he has to explain that to Charles Bronson, uh, like what is happening. And so Bronson, who was initially totally against him, slowly aligns himself with him to go and get Alain Delon's character and find Bronson wants to keep him alive so that he can find out the whereabouts of the loot that they stole from the train. Mifune wants him dead right away. So they have a constant battle about, well, I'm going to kill him as soon as I see him. No, you can't kill him as soon as you see him. You have to let him live long enough for him to tell me where this stuff is. And so they're always going back and forth on that. And Mifune has a great method of that. He's got this little rope that he wears, I think around his waist that has these knots in it. And every day he unties another knot. So you can see he has 10 to begin with and every day he's losing one. Um, so he's getting closer and closer to having to kill himself if he doesn't pull this off. But it's a really, there's some really great stuff where you have, you know, West meets West, if you will. And uh, Mifune um, kicking some ass with a samurai sword, slicing and dicing. It doesn't have, just at the outset, so I can set people up, it doesn't have as much of that as I would have liked, but it definitely does have, you know, two or three pockets of it that are pretty great. And furthering the connection to the James Bond world, this is post all the James Bond stuff that T- Terrence Young directed, I think. Uh, Ursula Andress is in the movie as like Elaine Delon's like prost. I think she's a prostitute, like this girl that he uh, is his main squeeze, if you will. And so when Bronson is trying to figure out a way to lure Delon into, you know coming back to him he's like well we got to go kidnap what's her name and that'll do it we'll get him in you know that way so anyway it's just this like you know guys on a mission sort of western with bronson and tashiro mifune together i mean like yeah that alone is <laughs> pretty killer, fucking great killer cast <laughs> right i couldn't yeah, even believe so, it when i saw the photo of that i was like really that's a movie yeah no so that it's it's pretty cool i mean it like i said it's not action a minute you know kind of kind of stuff but i feel like if you're a fan of all these actors, you're not going to be disappointed ultimately by the movie. It, it was a really nice first time watch for this episode. So I'm really glad I, I had already, I'd ordered an import Blu-ray of it. I think, uh, studio canal put it out. It is unfortunately region locked as a Blu-ray, but it's also available streaming most outlets. So you can see it that way. But I was really psyched. I'm like, well, I already got that. Let me just, hopefully it's good enough for the episode. And it was just the right thing for my number four spot. So that's Red Sun. Does uh, Mifune speak in English in the film? He does. Mm, Okay, interesting. I can't think if I've seen him speak English in too many roles. But off the top of my head, yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Because also you could say 
Alan Delon's probably the most beautiful Frenchman, you know, to ever live. <laughs> and Mifune might be the most beautiful Japanese man to ever live. So you're, you know, uh, you're doing well. Um, all right. So it should go without saying that uh, we all love Tombstone. I feel like Tombstone's one of those, you know, uh, modern classics that you don't doesn't need more love from us right now. I don't think uh, by George B. Cosmatis. Uh, it's just to me like you know the characters are so fun. Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell, everyone's great. Um, I love it. Yeah, it's a, just a brilliant movie, and I didn't want to rewatch that because that film in my mind is actually pretty fresh, and I've seen it many many times. Uh, but I did want to give some love to the other brilliant ensemble film from that same period. Uh, which I had remembered really liking and then watching it again I think it's it's kind of a masterpiece I've got to say and that is Silverado you're wearing my hat what else you got that's mine now I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead you can't be that good let's go This is a crazy town, Emmett. I think we ought to just get out of here. No, no, this is your horse. You see, this horse loves me. Making a big mistake. That's what I told him. If I brought a pretty lady like that into a place like this, I'd stay close. I think you got a point, Emmett. Maybe I better stay here with her. And we're going to give you a fair trial, followed by a first-class hanging. I had enough of what ain't right. Some people think they can push you around, but it's only true if you let it be. I don't want you to get hurt. You want one of these? This ought to do. Let's get up! Hanging around with you is no picnic. Directed by Lawrence nice. Kasdan, 85. Uh, I'd seen it once on TV a long time ago, and it didn't hit me the way Tombstone does, because Tombstone's a very easy film to love. It doesn't take a lot of work, because the character is just so fucking good, and it's just so much fun to watch. And Silverado, I remember being pretty long. Uh, I don't think it's as long as I th- in my head it was, a two-and-a-half-hour film. I don't. Th- I think it's only like 2.15 or something. But, um, man, I gotta say, uh, you know, he's one of those guys, he hasn't come up on our show much but he he is very much to me a pure cinema type of director Lawrence Kasdan uh I feel like you know now he's more remembered as a guy who's writing Star Wars movies or something but I am a huge accidental tourist fan uh Body Heat uh um there's one other that uh was on my mind uh recently that I just always forget how good a writer he is you know he's a really good writer but he also knows how to put a movie together and uh silverado open has one of the best i don't know if you remember the opening to this movie but it's literally scott glenn more or less waking up in his little cabin in the middle of nowhere and there's obviously guys you're stuck in the camera stuck inside with him and there's obviously people trying to break in and murder him and he is just a complete freaking ninja <laughs> and you know like his gun flies through the air he throws it to himself catches it you know rolls shoots one guy and he's just shooting at like you know holes of pockets of light coming through the cracks in the wall it is 
if you don't want to invest in this movie, just walk, go on Amazon and watch the first two minutes of this movie. And I think it'd be very difficult to not want to carry through because it's one of the greatest openings. Uh, and Scott Glenn's fantastic in it. This is a film with a beautiful ensemble. And the reason I included the movie before I get into what it's about is it's so different than the rest of the movies on this list. And it's, and it's so different from, to be honest, from most post wild bunch movies, because it is completely earnest and it is completely uh, uncynical, which I think I think cynicism would be the word I would use to describe most uh, post sixty nine westerns in a lot of ways, and you know, especially films made in the shadow of Vietnam. This is a film that is a true throwback uh, to a more kind of innocent, honor bound time. Um, and I, the films I would compare it to, I'd say it's like My Darling Clementine by way of the Magnificent Seven. It's got vibes of both of those. Um, and it's, you know, it's this entire movie just about friendship and honor. Uh, and it's, you know, it's one of the best written Westerns I've seen. I think the characters in this movie are so good and every scene feels like a, like it feels like you've been a, served a full meal, each scene. It doesn't just feel like scenes to make, a, you know, scenes where people are just talking to talk. Every single scene has a complete through line, which, you know, can, makes it feel like a big movie in a lot of ways. Um, so joining Scott Glenn in this ensemble is Kevin Klein, uh, Kevin Costner, Danny Glover are kind of your main four guys who are bound together. Uh, Jeff Goldblum comes in as as a ga- this gambling character who you don't know if he's good or bad. Uh, oh, wow, I totally forgot he was. Oh yeah, you know he's got he plays a pretty good key role. Uh, Roseanne Arquette is kind you know there's no real love interest but she's in, she is a love interest in the background, uh, kind of settling trying to find a new place to settle. Uh, Brian Dennehy is the I wouldn't call him evil. That's what's interesting about it. He's the sheriff. He's he's letting evil happen. He's letting bad things happen in the town, and he's turning a blind eye to, and he's benefiting from it. But he doesn't seem like the worst guy, and he's and he's an old friend of Kevin Klein's character. Uh, and then you have Jeff Fahey as one of the you know uh, gangster type you know bad guys. And in an earlier scene, you have John Cleese, totally out of character, cast as. Um, against type uh, cast as a sheriff of a town before they get to Silverado, which is the town most of the film takes place in. And he's pretty funny in, in the couple scenes. A bit of a fish called Wanda connection between him and Klein. But the characters are all uh, unknown to each other. It's these four different guys who all just come into each other's orbit. You know, Scott Glenn comes across Kevin Klein, who's been left for dead in the middle of the desert and would, would die if not for Scott Glenn, like looking after him and taking the spare horse he took from the guys who tried to kill him. Uh, and then uh, Kevin Costner is Scott Glenn's brother, who is in a jail and is going to be hung the next day. And he's basically Billy the Kid. You know, he's playing a character like a Billy the Kid. He's a total Yahoo who and he, he seems like a he, he actually would remind you most of tom cruise in color of money he's playing at that kind of level you know <laughs> like really hyper and can't sit still but he's totally full of confidence and swagger and shoots two guns at a time um which is fun to see costner playing something like that and then later on they come across danny glover who is uh you know the black man who comes into a bar and won't be served and is cast out and they kind of stand up for him and you know later they come back into each other's orbit um so it's kind of fun to have these characters who aren't friends but they're they're like misfits and they're all, you know, they all probably have criminal pasts of some kind. They all have pretty amazing skills uh, and they can, and they basically and all end up in this town of Silverado, uh, which is being run by this, you know, uh, more or less uh, crime, crimey uh, Brian Dennehy sheriff. And uh, they slowly ha- are forced to take action uh, to, you know, to fight for the, to usurp, you know, very classical Western themes, usurp the black hats as it were. Uh, but the way it all comes together is just so beautifully written and 
I have to come to the conclusion that if I could be any Western character in any movie ever made, I think <laughs> it's Kevin Klein's character in this movie. I think I, it's kind of like a mixture of Buster Keaton and Kevin Klein, and he's just this guy's like the fastest draw you've seen, you could imagine. But he's also like kind of you know a gambler and a, and a and a drinker, and he uh, you know he's not that motivated to do much uh, until he's really forced. His hand is forced, you know, because he's an old friend of. But there's something about the way Klein plays this guy that's so fun to watch. It's just a total blast. Everyone's great in it, but to me, Kevin Klein is like next level. I think it's one of the best things he's done. Um, and and he's just written so well. Uh, it's super fun. And yeah, this is just one of those uh, movies that I think. Uh, has such a positive spin on the West. It's never. It's the total opposite of the Last Hardman. It's not at all grisly, even though there's lots of good action in it. Uh, you always know that they're going to be okay. It doesn't feel like it's one of those movies that's just going to kill its characters to to be provocative. It's just. It's definitely a romantic look at the West. Um, and yeah, it's it's really a great movie. So I think if people are on the fence on that because of its running time, or maybe you're not a Kasdan fan, uh, you know, don't uh, don't let um, what was his bad Stephen King movie um, with Tom Sizemore and Morgan Freeman and everyone from a few years ago. Uh, oh God! Oh, Kasdan? Yeah. What's that? Dreamcatcher? Yeah. Don't let Dreamcatcher uh, be how you actually. Ch- I like Dreamcatcher. You, you because and Mike Flanagan. <laughs> it's just, I mean, because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it is yeah, so ridiculous it's, that it's, insane. It's, it's, it's entertaining on a level that a lot of movies don't achieve. No, that's true. So, I get that. But I, but I see what you're saying. Like, that could totally put you off. Um, I'm wondering if Grand Canyon was maybe the movie you were trying to think of as the I, other one. I am, which is a, has a similar cast, obviously, with uh, a client. No, it wasn't that one. But even though I am also a fan of that, there's, there's one more Kasdan film that uh, will bite at me after after this accidental tourist is my favorite don't get me wrong that is, i think to me is you know a brilliant brilliant movie i mean obviously wrote um raiders of the lost ark and i think you see some of that talent uh for scene writing in this movie you know i think this yeah. there's just there's just scenes where they have the full arc in one scene where you know I'll start with kevin klein saying oh so where do you pour? he's going for a new job to work in the saloon and you know the the woman's showing him who runs the bar you know that uh, we water down the whiskey you know to nothing almost and he's like oh okay and then she's like and this is where we keep the good stuff and then there'll be a whole scene play out and it'll end with his life more or less being threatened and the last beat will be like give me some of the good stuff you know like <laughs> like, like it's just every scene has that button and you know it's i guess it's rare to see such good writing in 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 some westerns just like any genre film often writing is not the uh the thing the takeaway but um this is a great movie really great yeah no no this was one i considered for mine actually i'm glad you called it out it um it faded from the list that i was putting together quickly because i just was like overwhelmed by the other stuff i was looking at but i'm so glad you called it out because i do feel like it is known partially because the cast is so strong uh, but it's not really talked about right now very much. And uh, speaking of movies, a la Hugh Wilson post Police Academy, this is 1985. The Big Chill is 1983. Oh, so yeah. very much uh, another, you know, director with a hit. Looks like he gets to do his Western <laughs> that he wanted to do post the big success, which I think is great. Um, and I do love that these two directors do go well I can do what I want oh, I'm going to do uh, in this case I thought I'd read that 
Kazdan had called out Rio Bravo as a specific influence on this one. And I, and when you're describing the plot, it's like, I can see vaguely, but I think it's, he was talking about Westerns of the fifties and sixties as an influence definitely, on what he was definitely. doing. Definitely. Right? Yeah. It's not the seventies. Like it's, and it's not really the Peckinpah late sixties. It's definitely, you're right. It's that innocent Ford type characters. Yeah. No, it's, it's, no, it's Ford really and Hawks. Yeah. I love it. A director named John Sturgis made Gunfight of the OK Corral and Magnificent Seven. In fact, made The Great Escape, which is not a Western, but has all that wonderful feeling of camaraderie and heroism that I think has a lot to do with this picture. And there were Red River, it was always an important movie to me, Howard Hawks' Western, and the John Ford Westerns, no question. But uh, I think this movie is very different from those in a way, in that the pace is very fast. It's kind of a romp, this movie. And maybe it's a way of getting people back to the Western, and if they can accept them again, we can try some different things. But uh, this one is pretty much about fun. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, no, I'm a I needed fan. to see it again, to be honest, to, for me to love it. like Because in my memory, between this, Wyatt Earp, and Tombstone, there's a little bit of blur, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I think Wyatt Earp's really good, too. Um, but... I was really glad to see it again because I think it's up there with Tombstone. And Tombstone, the character is just so fun. Um, but this yeah. is a movie where it's it's a different it's a different kind of western. Yeah, no, that's a great pick, man. Really great pick. I, I hope it turns some people onto it that haven't seen it. And I'm due for a rewatch myself. Actually, I remember coming across a Blu-ray of it for like five bucks in like a Dollar General mm. uh, when I was on a road trip like five or six years ago, and I was like, oh hell yeah, I'll take Silverado on Blu-ray for five bucks. Um, so I got to go dig that out and watch it. Uh, okay. So my next one is, uh, another first time watch for me. One that I had been meaning to see for years because it was critically hailed at the time and part of, uh, at least a pair of films that were really interesting in Pierce Brosnan's career in the, you know, early two thousands. The first one being The Matador, which I think is still a really interesting movie that he made in 2005. I like that one. This, yeah, it's a good yeah, one. It's, it's, it's a really solid little movie with some comedy and some pathos and drama. It's it's definitely worth looking up and one that I would consider for the show at some point if I can find a proper topic. Um, but this one is called Seraphim Falls, and it's from 2006. We'll get your money when we find them, not before. He's here. So watch yourselves. Might have been a man rode through here. Now where is he? A legendary soldier on the run for survival. Mister, who the hell is this man? Must be part engine or wolf. Better not ask you to stop walking. Let me be, boy. I told you to let me pass on. Two men bound by memories of a war, but divided by a massacre that won't be forgotten. God damn you, the hell. Man could die out here if he's not careful. Why are you doing this? Seraphim Falls. So I remembered, I think I might have seen, like, say, a Siskel and Ebert review of it or something. Mm -hmm. And it was buried, you know, within a bunch of movies that I had heard of. And I was like, well, what is this? This Western? I've never heard of this. It's got Liam Neeson and Pierce Brosnan. Hmm. Uh, And then 
come to watch it, and it's actually got Ed Lauder. Hmm. It's got Kevin J. O'Connor. It's got Xander Berkeley. It's got Angelica Houston. So there's a lot of like supporting cast. Tom Noonan shows up yeah. uh, later. So uh, Wes Studi. It's really it, it's got a layered cast that I really liked. Um, but basically, the premise is that. Well, let me just do, give you the setup. The setup: we are in the middle of the snowy woods with Pierce Brosnan. He's just like parked his horse. He's just made himself like a rabbit on a spit. He's about to eat. Suddenly a bullet rings out and nails him right in the shoulder. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And then he starts running. And then we see it's Liam Neeson. And he's got this troop of guys with him, including Ed Lauder, which I love. Uh, And um, I'm trying to think who else was in the group. There's one other guy that you'd recognize in the group, maybe Wes Studi. And they are chasing Pierce Brosnan. And so he just it starts running. And you're like, well, I don't know what's going on. And it's a, I love that kind of setup. And I know you do too. Where you're just like, yeah, okay, yeah. what is going on? I don't know. What is it between these two guys? Obviously, we know Liam Neeson is really great at playing that sort of um, man who will stop at nothing for revenge kind of character. Like that is his bread and butter now. And this is, I want to say this is pre-taken. Um, so... It's it's definitely him setting up those characters that he's played a lot of since. But you, you slowly start to see uh, things play out, some of them in flashback and some of them in dialogue between uh, Liam Neeson and these hired goons that he's got with him as to what happened and why he wants to, to kill Pierce Brosnan. It's post-Civil War. The Civil War is over, um, but there was an incident that that went down that between these two men that um it's really interesting because your first instinct is to be sort of on the side of Pierce Brosnan like why what happened what did this guy do and then you sort of you have sort of the flip of like you find out what actually happened and then you kind of there's a couple different reversals that happen throughout the movie which is really great but um what i found really intriguing about it is that at the end of the movie, when it all plays out, there's a really wonderful allegory for, and, and this doesn't have to apply at all, but it's one that I couldn't help but see. And it's sort of this political allegory of me against you that the movie resolves in a really interesting way. And I, I was really taken with that, you know, whether it's intended or not. It certainly couldn't have applied to um, politics right now because it'd be incredibly prophetic in that way. But just in terms of a, you know, us versus them scenario and like, why are we so anti these other, this other side, if you will? Uh, and if we just sat down and talked about it, you know, would we so be that way? But um, that is just sort of a, icing on top of the cake what you really have is like a chase western where you just have from just about the very beginning of the movie pierce brosnan is running you know and trying to get away and going through a lot of harrowing stuff and taking a beating and doing his best to you know not get caught he's very clever in the way that he sort of um stays clear of these guys but it's you know it's it's like five against one, so you're just kind of like oh shit, this is this is rough, um, and it's got some really rough moments of injury uh, throughout that I, it's a tough thing to watch sometimes, but it it really kind of gives you a sense of the old west and how um, tough it was and how 
you know, little things could lead to your death, you know, if you mm. didn't take care yeah. of them, you know. So anyway, um, I was really taken by this one. I was really surprised how much I liked it. And it definitely got my attention right out of the gate and felt special and stayed interesting throughout. And I think if you like those two actors alone, you'll be good. But I feel like, you know, when you have a lot of pure cinema favorites like Ed Lauder and Tom Noonan showing up and, you know, Kevin J. O'Connor and these other people, it just adds levels to it. And so it's just got a lot going on that I really dug. So uh, I couldn't help but include that. Um, Seraphim is spelled S-E-R-A-P-H-I-M falls. Um, and that's from 2006. Available streaming everywhere, you know, if you're looking for it. Yeah, that's when I remember the poster for it. And it's I, I didn't know if it was like a TV movie or a straight to video kind of thing. But it like now that I hear that, it makes me want to see it because it's like I had no idea the context of it at all. Yeah, I just I knew that it was the they're they're standing back to back on the mm-hmm. cover. So you're like, okay, well, there's clearly some kind of rivalry, but you don't really get a sense of just where and how it, it's going to play out. And uh, I was really impressed, really impressed with it. So Interesting. Cool. No, that's, that, that sounds fun. Um, well, I will go with – so I, I obviously Kid Blue connects to Easy Rider because of its director and I'm one of its stars uh, being Dennis Hopper. Uh, this next film I think would be – if I could only pair one movie with Easy Rider for a d- perfect double feature, I think in terms of spirit, uh, I would pair this movie, uh, which is uh, Peter Fonda's uh, very quick follow-up after Easy Rider 1971's The Hired Hand. Didn't recognize this place until I saw that peak. Guess I decided then. It's just a waste living like this, aren't you? You gonna go with Harry? You ain't gonna go to the coast? Where are you gonna go then? Home. How long is it going to take you to ride back? A week? Thereabouts? I mean, what if she's married? Is he dead? You should You don't have any right to come back this way. You think I can't send you away. You think you're still married to me, but that ain't so. I don't want Janie upset. As far as she knows, her father is dead. I don't want you saying no different. Look, Hannah, just let me work the place for a bit. Like a hired hand. Said she slept with a hired help. Harry, what are you doing? They cut off one of Archie's fingers. One each week, they say, till I get there. Arch is in this trouble because of me. I have to get him out of it. And when that's done, I'll be back. Kill him. I'll kill him. Where's Harris? He's here. This is one I had seen, you know, a bad version of it, like not a very good copy years ago, uh, because this is a film that like, you know, mostly languished in obscurity for the last 30 years. But um, I got to rewatch the beautiful Arrow release of this thing. And this is an amazing movie. It it really kind of touched me quite. It's 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 such a subtle, emotional movie. And it's very similar to Easy Rider. I mean, 
if Easy Rider is about the failure of the dream, you know, the hippie dream uh, in America, you know, and the way that film obviously goes by the end of it, this feels like the same kind of story about the West. It feels like uh, it's basically Peter Fonda. So Peter Fonda directing, which is already interesting because, you know, right after he obviously chose not to direct Easy Rider, um, probably regretted some of that, uh, given you know, the kind of relationship with uh, Hopper that followed. But um, in this one, I kind of my my summary is very simply this is Igmar Bergman meets Brokeback Mountain basically <laughs> which and and not, and not as they don't push it obviously as overtly as Brokeback um, or else I've got because um, it's Peter Fonda and Warren Oates and then later on it's Verna Bloom who's also in another one of my picks coming up. But she even, her face even reminds me of Liv Ullman a little bit. So then I've relabeled this movie Scenes from a Western Marriage, uh, <laughs> which I think is pretty good. Um, like uh, it's shot by Vilmos Zsigmond, so it's just a gorgeous film. It's one of the you know, one of the best things he shot. Um, so it's basically uh, two guys, and, and there's a third friend at the start who uh, gets uh, gunned down. And kind of the opening of this movie is uh, he uh, Fonda plays Harry Collings. He's got a big beard. He looks very anemic and thin and he just doesn't look well um, in this movie and you know I think it's part of the character and his buddy Arch played by Oates and this is like this is like up there with the great Warren Oates roles I think he's a real he's even though he's kind of the support supporting character it's really about the two of them Um, and it's about how in a way in the west that kind of is your marriage it's not your actual marriage it's the person you're actually out there every day whether it's farming the land or actually just drifting like they are trying to live the frontier lifestyle so they're out there exploring the frontier but after a certain while it's it's been wearing on the fonda character and he and he kind of decides you know what i think i should go back he's kind of having this existential crisis where he thinks something bad's going to happen um and so he thinks i should go back to my wife who i've kind of abandoned and and the kid that i haven't seen on the farm you know and and so arch goes with him so warren notes this is after kind of a violent opening there's kind of a little bit of action at the start and end of the movie but most of it's kind of a hangout uh, kind of piece but um so Oates and, and Fonda go back to the homestead and his wife is not that thrilled to see him, uh, played by Verna Bloom. And, you know, she's very she doesn't believe that he's there for the with the right intentions. And so he's like, well, just treat me like a hired hand. I'll work the farm for a while and we'll see how things feel. And, uh, you know, it's a very slow burn. But the real relationship seems to be that you're studying is really this relationship, how, how incredibly close him and Oates are you know it's it's not it's not I don't think it has uh homosexual undertones in the way that the kid blue kind of thing does but it's really about this incredibly strong uh relationship that that comes in the westerns and uh there's an interesting part kind of in the middle where somebody implies to Warren Oates's character that uh Fonda's wife hires people to work her farm and then sleeps with them and that's that's the rumor in town so when Oates tells Fonda this it obviously kind of shakes him up a little and you know puts a little bit of firecracker in their relationship and she's kind of quick to admit it and say what of it like you know you abandon me you think I can't live my life and so that's what I mean by scenes from a western marriage it's really about this you know complex marriage in the old west which you never really see and then something kind of fun happens Oates's character I won't won't ruin where it heads but he kind of gets abducted um by some guys that they had trouble with at the start and Fonda's kind of like well you know he's very happy with her now and kind of settled back in he's like well I have to leave again because I've got to go get my friend you know because that's his real relationship and so some complexities kind of spring from that and uh it's very 
it's very experimental not it's not an experimental movie but it has a lot of experimental elements from the way it looks to some of the and the is edited in a really kind of modern way and then the soundtrack is very it's not tangerine dream but it you know has moments and flourishes that kind of sound like that as a score and are just you know different it's 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 really i gotta say like on an art level i might be one of the best westerns i've seen on this like on being just a very different type of movie more more like a european art film but as a Western. Um, and the only reason it got made is because, uh, so this is directly connected to Easy Rider, obviously. Easy Rider was a huge hit. Universal decided they would let young filmmakers make semi-indie films, you know, for low budget. So they decided for, you'd get like a million dollars with zero interference. And what's interesting is they greenlit, I think it was five of them. And the ones they did were last movie, and we all know how that went with Hopper, you know, blowing all his money in the up his nose or whatever. Uh, uh, Taking off by Milos Forman, which is a very eccentric movie that might come up again in our seventies thing. Uh, Silent Running with Bruce Dern, which is a, a kind of out there sci-fi, and then American Graffiti in seventy-three. So you know, obviously, which turned out to be the hit of that group. Um, but you know, what a, what a cool idea, you know, studios doing that. Um, obviously it probably didn't really pay off for them and that's probably why it didn't continue. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's very nonverbal. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's, it's off, you know, mostly the aesthetics that are telling the story, but man, their relationship between these, and you look, I am a tried and true Oates fan and I love it when him and Fonda are on screen together. Uh, and this film, you feel that bond. You, you feel like they've known each other for a long time. And yeah, I really can't recommend this one enough, especially this era release. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, there's something special about this movie. Very different than the other movies I'm talking about, but because it's not, you know, it's not action-based. It's definitely more about relationships. But there is still, um, there's still some, you know, there's still some bad guys and some a little bit of action at, to kind of um, bookend the film. Very cool, man. Yeah, we're, you know, after our two-plus years of doing this show, man, I still love that we line up in this way because that was another one that was just a hair uh, from my list, mm. like almost made it. And I was kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to leave that one be and it'll either come up in our honorables or Elrical straight up picket. And um, I'm really glad you did because yeah, I feel the same way. It's definitely um, underseen, especially considering what a big deal easy rider is and how this is just right after that. And it's so yeah, similar, it's, like structurally, yeah, structurally, yeah. it's the two guys going along the frontier and realizing it doesn't really work and wanting to go home. You know what I mean? It's a similar kind of notion, you know? Yeah, it's crazy to me. And but yeah, it's really a wonderful piece that demonstrates how um, solid a director Fonda is, mm-hmm. you know, real early. And yeah, I love it a lot. I have that same Arrow Blu-ray. I can't recommend it enough. I was so excited when Arrow Academy dropped that one. Um, and it excellent. wouldn't have made my list if I hadn't seen it again. That's the thing. It would have been more like, yeah, I remember that being interesting. And like, it took seeing this brilliant release of it and just going, wow, this is like, this is an art film, a really beautiful art film Western. You know, it's, it's, Absolutely. it's really something. Yeah. Great one. Good call. Um, well, and my next pick, you know, also kind of a hangout Western, uh, just got a Blu-ray from Warner Archive. And that is Blake Edwards' film, Wild Rovers, from 1971. William Holden and Ryan O'Neill are the Wild Rovers. Just a couple of cowboys. They work hard. They play hard. I'm really getting drunk. Congratulations. 
they fight hard. Thanks, Dave. And I so wanted to see this before this episode, and then I, I looked everywhere, and it I couldn't see it anywhere. There, I waited too late, I guess. It wasn't streaming on anywhere? Yeah, it's a trick. Unfortunately, it is only... Maybe it's available on YouTube or somewhere to, that you can rent. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, this Blu-ray just came out. It's definitely recommended. Uh, it's a widescreen Western that you should definitely check out. I think it it is maybe my favorite Blake Edwards film, full stop. Um, I mean, it took the E spot on our uh, Pure Cinema Directors A to Z. So that's a pretty big letter to give to yeah. Wild Rovers. So uh, yeah. so it's got big boots to fill. It does. I'm pretty sure it's not going to disappoint you <laughs> yeah. when you see it. I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. Um, I mean, right out of the gate. And this, these are not even the main characters, but right out of the gate, boom, first scene. We've got Jodon Baker, Tom Skerritt, and Carl Malden. All right, you don't even have to say anything else. (laughs) They're just eating dinner. So, like, they are background characters in this movie. Like, the story is basically about uh, a ranch. Carl Malden is the patriarch. And Jodon and Tom Skerritt are his sons. And it's about the the opening scene is really interesting because it's like a bunch of cowhands wrangling some bulls in a pen and one of the cowhands gets slammed up against the wall and killed and it's this moment of pause for all the other um cow punchers there including ryan o'neill and william holden so we've got another direct line to wild bunch yeah. here two years after he does uh the wild bunch he does this and i think it's a really interesting companion piece character to the pike character much more like a guy who who didn't quite achieve what uh pike achieved and just decided to sort of um take a more laid-back approach to life and just you know work on ranches for a good portion of his life so in this one you would say the line would be if they move that's cool <laughs> it's fine <laughs> that's fine no i mean worries. just we all let gotta em. move <laughs> yeah if they move let them you know who cares <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's no it's definitely not if they move kill them in yeah. this case yeah it's but it's really a wonderful movie uh and touching and great in terms of the the again the hangout quality the the early scene in the movie that really hooks you is like I said, this cowboy is killed, and Ryan O'Neill and Holden's characters—they're kind of buddies, you know—an older, seasoned ranch hand and a younger upstart. Uh, they are assigned to take the body into town. So there's a great opening scene where they're just you know riding in a little cart with the uh, body, and they're just sort of talking about life. And how this moment of losing this guy that they knew has affected them and what their sort of position is after this. You know, I've been thinking about what happened. It just don't make no goddamn sense to me. I mean, one minute, there's Barney, and the next, because some goddamn loco jughead. You know what I'm trying to say? It's, I can't even get the way to say it. Yeah, because it don't seem real. Oh, sure, no. You know, something like that happens. Something that a man's got no control over. Something that he'll never understand, no matter what way he looks at it. It's like a real bad, crazy dream. Yeah. And it can scare hell out of you, too. You know, the thing that scares a man the most is to find out 
and discover just how uncertain life really is. I like that, you know, thing happened to Barney. Realizing, even if he don't want to admit it, that deep down in his gut, it just as easy could have been him, and might be. Any minute, any second, some crazy jughead, something like that. Of course, it's natural to chew on. But sooner or later, you just got to get rid of it, get on with what you got. Ain't nothing much you can do about it, eh? Ain't nothing much. Ain't nothing. Gotta do the best with what you got while you got it. Ain't that the way you see it, Ross? Sure is the way I see it. You scared of dying? Yeah, kind of. Except I sure as hell don't spend much time thinking about it. Now on. So there's a great opening bit of dialogue with them, and that happens like two or three times throughout the movie, where you get these moments of just them hanging out and talking. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It, it's a lot of fun, but then it takes a turn, you know, like they make a decision to do something. And I, I don't know that I want to spoil it. I can't remember if it spoils in the opening uh, in, in like something you would read about the movie, but they decide they want to change and they make that change and that affects them. Uh, it, it changes things for them in a big way, what they decide to do. But you do get a lot of them still hanging out, but there's a little more peril and drama that comes in. But there's just something really great about uh, Ryan O'Neill in this period. I mean, I know we love him from The Driver in 78, um, but, you know, this is more the paper moon mm -hmm. type guy. Maybe maybe not quite as um, goofy, but definitely freewheeling in a similar way. I just I like him a lot. I really do. I, I I know he maybe maybe he's not. I don't know. I feel like he's got like a history of being like maybe not the greatest dude in some respects. But he's made so many movies that I like. I love What's Up Doc. I'm a huge fan of that. I still think that's one of Bogdanovich's best and and one that's I think got a deserved reputation as a classic throwback to Screwball. You know, doing much the same thing that. Uh, Kazanin's doing with Silverado, throwing back to Howard Hawks and Rio Bravo. He's throwing back to bringing up Baby. Anyway, mm. um, I like Ryan O'Neill a lot, and I love William Holden. And so the two of them together, again, this is where I, knowing you and 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 how we feel about certain movies, I just know that you're going to like these two together. There's just no way you're not going to respond to them in a way that I did too. Um, but yeah, it's it's got a it's got a sort of a it's commenting, like I said, on the Wild Bunch, maybe in the conversation with Ride the High Country a little bit, you know, but like a lighter, more laid back, you know, um, with one of the characters being like the older, you know, cowboy, kind of like Randolph Scott and Joel McRae and the other being the younger one. So there's a different, there's an injection of um, youthfulness and uh, energy that's different than Ride the High Country, but it has a similar commenting on the West kind of thing that it's doing. I can't quite explain it, but, um, but yeah, then you've got Joe Don Baker, Tom Skerritt and Carl, Carl Malden in the mix too. And I love those actors. So it's, it's hard for it not to be a very PCP kind of movie. Um, Moses Gunn pops up later. I like him a lot. Um, I feel like there's some others that you'll recognize 
in here, but um, this mostly gets me interested in what your number one will be because for some reason in my brain this was going to be your number one. <laughs> it could have been. It really easily could have been. Um, you'll remember I, I mentioned my number one to you in, in previous, and so you'll remember it immediately when I bring it up again. But um, this could have been a number one spot for me. It's that good, and it's one of those that's like produced and written and directed by Blake Edwards. So. He's obviously got a lot of control. It's obviously a very special movie to him. And uh, Jerry Goldsmith does the music. It's kind of uh, a little bit of Elmer Bernstein, but definitely, you know, Jerry doing what he does, which is just really accentuating and making a film better with his score. So um, really solid. I, I, I really can't recommend it enough. It's definitely one that I feel like doesn't get talked about as often is the case with pretty much a lot of the movies on our list here tonight. Well, it's probably availability is uh, huge. I mean, tr- definitely. So this is a Kino, did you say blue? Uh, Warner archive, Warner archive okay. just dropped this. I Unfortunately, there's no, no extras, but it's, it's definitely worth just getting it uh, to see this beautiful, you know, two, three, five to one. I'm trying to remember who shot the movie because I feel like it's somebody that we know and like, and I'm blanking on who it is. So I got to look that up, but yeah, I, I saw this one, I want to say, when Warner Archive put the... Um, oh, Phil Lathrop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a guy we don't talk about that much on the show, but he did um, a lot of interesting films in this period. And uh, he shot The Driver, for instance. Ah, okay, that makes sense, yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah, it's just one that I saw when Warner Archive dropped the DVD, I want to say, five, six years ago, and I was immediately taken with it. Couldn't have been happier that the Blu-ray's out now. Highly recommended. Wild Rovers, definitely check it out. Okay, well, yeah, I, I've been wanting to see it since I think it came, you know, since I, you first mentioned it a while back. Um, all right, I will now put it top of the list. Um, so, yeah, for my number one spot, uh, I, I went for the ultimate post-69 Western, in my opinion, uh, because it features the star of many of the greatest 60s Westerns, becoming the director of these films and basically in my opinion taking over the western mantle that would go on for the next 30 years and that is and and the fact is it's an incredibly strange and beautiful and amazing movie and that is high plains drifter a drifter came riding out of the west you know him as clint eastwood the citizens of lago didn't know him at all What did you say your name was again? I didn't. Fear was in their greeting. Murder was in their minds. We were talking about hiring a gunfighter. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he come from? You don't want to get shot. You don't want your shops or your houses burned. You don't want your women touched. You don't want anything to happen. Except you're afraid to do anything about it. That stranger's got everybody in this town at each other's throats. One man against one town. Not bad odds. About time this town has a new sheriff. I'm the sheriff. And the mayor. I'm the mayor. Any objections? He shot my ear off! I'll kill everybody! You know what you are. You're an animal. 
Well, you have a way of bringing that out. Directed by Clint Eastwood, 73. This movie, rewatching it for this, it knocked my socks off. I was like, it, it ticks so many of my personal influences and boxes. And I also think it's unlike anything Eastwood has done since because it's it's so dark. Um, it, it's, it's borderline a horror movie. And it's borderline, you could even call it a supernatural horror film, even though it's just... On the surface, it looks just like another, um, for a few dollars more, kind of part of the Dollars trilogy. Feel It feels like that kind of character in the setup, man with no name, drifting into town. But then it takes a much darker uh, and, and comic, like it's black comedy, um, which is something I feel like Clint hasn't done too much of. And yet there is definitely a direct connection between this. And this is so this is his second movie, but his first Western that he directed. And that's why I think it's so incredibly significant, because he is obviously the most important, you know, uh, of the from this period to, you know, to Unforgiven. He's the most important director in a lot of ways uh, of that genre. So, um, yeah, so basically this this dark figure uh, comes into this uh, dusty mine, a small mining town on the edge of this big lake, um, and it's shot on location. The film, which is funny, he, he got it away from the studio. Uh, that was part of his as part of his contract. And uh, the townsfolk of this town have a dark secret. And you know, very early on, you realize he is the quick draw, just as he was in the Dollars trilogy. He's a very similar character in the setup, and I think he's playing off that on purpose as a shortcut to kind of get to what he wants to do. And there's nods throughout this movie to Sergio Leone which is a lot of fun um, including like lighting a stick of dynamite with a cigar um, (laughs) which is fun but he comes into the town he wants to shower and a shave and uh, he's very cl- quickly challenged by the local pr- kind of badass protectors of the town, and he gets the upper hand and takes them down. And then the story of the town starts to emerge, which is uh, the former lawman of the town had been whipped to death in a very nightmarish scene um, by three uh, three bad guys. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I know one is Jeffrey Lewis, who appears in at least two of the movies I saw of <laughs> research. One thing that definitely came up in all the movies I watched beyond the five we're talking about first uh, was a lot of the same support people would pop up. It was almost, it was kind of the nicest thing about watching all the movies back to back. Like, oh, wow, he's, you know, uh, there's Jeffrey Lewis again, or there's... Uh, Verna Bloom. Yeah, or, yeah, Verna Bloom. Yeah, so this is the other one that she's also in, uh, Ernest Bergnine. A lot of people, he's not in this one, but a lot of these people would keep popping up. Um so he comes into town after killing that people. He basically realized that these three bandits had uh, whipped to death their uh, former lawman, and no one, everyone in the town was just watching. So it's basically a feature length version of the finale of Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if Clint would see it that way, but that's really what it is. Uh, it's about the town doing nothing. They all watched as these three guys murdered in the middle of the town square, and no one lifted a finger. Everyone was too scared. So he comes into town, and they find out that the three people are going to be returning for the unfinished business they have. So the kind of wealthier uh, guys who are kind of protecting the mining company uh, decide, well, we should give this guy, we should hire this guy to protect us for when they come back. Obviously, he's you know pretty incredible. And uh, he it comes at a really high cost, which is freaking hilarious. I mean, that's what I mean. This has a really funny black humor tone for anyone who's 
you know, maybe not into traditional Eastwood Westerns where he basically uh, gets anything he wants. <laughs> and so like literally he has an unlimited tab. He has uh, he can take over the hotel. He can kick anyone. He kicks all the people out of the hotel. He can have uh, the the local town prostitute uh, is going to be his for the night. He can have any meal cooked that he wants. He you know, he can turn the uh, the little person of the town um, into the sheriff. Now, including the smoke, that comes to about $8.50. Uh, there's no charge, Looney. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you was at the meeting. Anything he wants in this town, he gets. You voted on it. I didn't <laughs> know that meant free whiskey. Well, everybody's got to put something in the kitty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. About time this town had a new sheriff. I'm the sheriff. I'm the sheriff. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam. You look so comical when he puts your badge on the run. I'm not a runt anymore. I'm the sheriff. And the mayor. I'm, I'm the mayor. Any objections? No, no, that's fine. I'm the mayor. I'm the sheriff. No more. Mordecai, bring the water. Mordecai, take the bottle. Clean up the mess. Hot damn. I'm going to declare a holiday. Hot damn. You know, and he chooses all these things. So he's very, a lot of the, a lot of the film, he's basically humiliating the people in the town. And so he's funny. His character's funny, but it's also really dark. And a lot of the times he really is kind of almost the villain of the film at a certain point where you start to realize, but, but what quickly, and this isn't really a spoiler because it's early on that he has this dream and it was kind of confusing to me at first where he sees the flashback while he's having a sleep in the first kind of 30 minutes of the film, uh, of what happened to the sheriff. And so really the rest of the movie, and it's never, it's never going to pin down. So, you, you know, you can watch this movie however you want. Like, of course, in my brain, lo- the logical brain is trying to go, Oh, was he a, was that his dad and he somehow saw the crime or is this and you're trying to kind of work through it but really the most you know the most compelling vision of what this movie is is that it's actually a literal supernatural tale of the reincarnation of that murdered sheriff who's come back with these super skills uh, of and come back for utter vengeance on the town uh, and on the three guys who did it. So it, it, he basic, it basically builds to, and what's so memorable about this film, I think, is it goes from the small, you know, quaint, um, small town, and he literally transforms it into hell. And I mean, literally, like writes hell on the sign of the town, and the whole town ends up painted red, blood red, in the last act of the movie, which is just stunning filmmaking. It's just like, you know, it's uh, a couple of the things that I think are pretty, you know, powerful is he got to shoot the film in in sequence and he got to shoot the film on location away from the studio so he really got to make this film in chronological order which never gets done and because of that it makes sense because he's building towards the town turning into this you know crazy town that this guy's you know basically stripping it down because it's the town that didn't you know uh, didn't uh, stick up for him or a version of him and it's just so interesting and and it's and and that reading of it isn't you know the uh, be all and end all reading but it's um 
I think it's utterly fascinating, and it and it really could work in a horror all-nighter. If you were doing a horror program and you just slipped High Plains Drifter in, I think a lot of people would understand why you did that by the end of the film, because it, it, you know, whilst it's not, it's definitely a Western and it's definitely a modern Western, it has a lot of those same feelings, and I get the feeling he, you see so much of what he learned by watching Masters at work. That's why I think he was able to make such a good film. I mean, I really think this is one of his best films, not just a good film, but one of Clint's best movies. M. I think you could tell how much he learned from Leone uh, and, you know, the various other great, you know, Seagull and so many people he'd worked with. I think he realized you cannot give an inch. I think that's what he took away. He was like, you have to have complete autonomous control over the film the cut you have to be away from the studio and then you get to make the thing you want to make and he did that and he and he just makes this incredibly bloody dark uh movie because you know it's called <laughs> high plains drifter but he he really doesn't do any drifting he's come <laughs> he's come focused to do this this is a this is a pretty much the maybe the ultimate revenge movie in a lot of ways because um, it's just pure revenge and and i would say the last thing i'd say about it is i think it has a direct connection to unforgiven uh, obviously, Unforgiven is much more about the characters, but I think the last, the final act of Unforgiven, I think, has some of High Plains Drifter in that tone uh, where it, it feels like hell. It feels so dark where Unforgiven goes in the final sequence between him and Hackman and what happens to Freeman in that film that I think there's some really interesting connections to this film. Without this film, I don't think he could have made that, you know, masterpiece. Nice. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I definitely went through a Clint Eastwood phase when I was younger and I remember seeing this movie and I definitely was not ready for it. Mm. And I'm again, well due for a rewatch because I remember being put off by it when I was a kid, when I saw it in high school or whatever, because I think I was so used to this heroic badass Clint Eastwood from the, you know, man with no name stuff that I had seen. And even the stuff that followed this, like, Pale Rider mm-hmm. and yeah, I thought about others. I thought about revisiting Pale Rider too, but once I saw High Plains again, I was like, ah, I, I, whatever, however, whatever, however good it still is, I can't compare with the, how dark this no. one goes. You know, no, no, no. I, I think it's a great choice. I think it's a really cool number one and one that I'm much more prepared to rewatch now. And I had forgotten since I watched them in close succession. I didn't really. I was definitely not aware of you know, his hand as a director and where that one lay in terms of it's early on, it's him doing something really interesting. And, uh, it's, that was totally lost on me in high school. It was just an odd me, what I thought seemed like an odd mean spirited Western at the time. And I wasn't used to that kind of thing. And so I was like, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, but I, I don't know if I've rewatched it since then. And it wasn't for the fact that I was, I came away saying I didn't like it, but it was definitely something where I know, like I said, I wasn't prepared for what he was doing and having you go through it again. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking brilliant. I, I really love the idea of what he's doing in that movie. Um, the beastie boys wrote a song about it. <laughs> you know I mean? It's, uh, it's definitely one of those movies that made an impression on some people. Um, it was funny because I remember at the outset we were talking about like what did we say like no, no Eastwood, no Costner, no. What? Well, I think <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we were joking. I was wondering if there how many Eastwoods there be because it'd be easy to fill it with Eastwoods. Uh, totally, but but in a way, I still wouldn't have even if we were doing that. But this one was 
I couldn't overlook it. I, and I'd also no. I think it's great that you didn't. And I'd recommend if you get a chance, like I would wait a you know, wait a couple months just in case a, a, a screening like the new Bev, because he also plays with scale in a really beautiful way. Like some of the because it's a, a the whole town's constructed, so it's like there's some moments where I was like, oh damn, that's like it's pretty fat. You, you know, he's definitely learned a, a few tricks from Leone for sure. Uh, no, it's I think this is a really unique movie. It's really great. yeah. That's that's really cool. Like another one that. Uh, I need to rewatch. I got Silverado on the list for rewatch and, and this, you know, two that I remember being interesting, but I, I just barely remember them now, except I do remember Jeffrey Lewis for some reason. Oh, he's vicious. On this one. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's vicious. And any, any movie where the, where the main guy turns the town and co- renames the town hell, you got my, yeah. you got my money. I'm, I'm, watch, <laughs> I'm watching that movie. No, it's like, it's a really cool choice, man. High Plains Drifter. I love it. Um, all right, well, so my number one is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I don't think it's come up on the show. I mean, I may have sort of mentioned it in passing at some point, but it's it's very much a me movie in that it's got... Well, first of all, it stars Jeff Bridges, so that in and of itself is a huge deal to me. Um, but it's one of those casts, again, that... It just it just floors me how good this cast is. Um, it's it's modern. It's a modern movie. It plays out in a modern context of nineteen I think seventy five is when it came out. I want to say, uh, and I'm talking about Rancho Deluxe. Oh, that's right. You did yeah. You did tell me what. Yeah, it's a great movie. B bar or lazy T. B bar. Now why do you say that? Because the fire road runs up above their corrals and you can't see it from the house. Let's toss a coin. Let's just decide. Do you ever walk a quarter between your fingers? Never mind that. That's the first thing they teach you in jail. How to walk a quarter between your fingers. Simple-minded card tricks are next. So, of course, Frank Perry, um, you know, favorite of the show, Frank Perry definitely, directed this definitely, one. Yeah. Um, and it is based on uh, or, or written by Thomas McGowan or McGuane. Yeah, McGuane. Probably McGuane, yeah. Yeah, sort of a cult writer who did things like 92 in the Shade, The Missouri Breaks, actually wrote Tom Horn. That had come up um, on the show earlier tonight. And uh, But this is just one of those movies that, it's just so fun and entertaining and interesting and such a hang, again, a hangout, another hangout movie um, in that it deals with two drifters, you know, one sort of a hippie type and then uh, a part Native American buddy of his, you know, so it's Jeff Bridges and Sam Waterston. Uh, they play Jack and Cecil and, you know, it's one of those things where it opens on them with the, it's got a great score by uh, Jimmy Buffett. He does the entire score. He does several songs. He performs at one point live in a bar, and he's like the perfect fit for this sort of postmodern Western because uh, these two characters, the first thing we see them doing is they're rustling. They're <laughs> pulling up to a sort of an obscure part of a ranch, and they're hopping out of the car, and shooting a bull and then cutting it up with a chainsaw hmm. and taking the beef away and using it to trade in on their rent. You know, I mean, like they're, you know, just barely getting by, but they've made it their mission to sort of um, 
be a pain in the ass to this one particular rancher played by <laughs> Clifton James, who I absolutely love. He's one of those great character actors. I think he's like the the chief uh, police guy in Live and Let Die, if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. He's a great sort of Southern you know, sheriff kind of guy. And he's just given some great dialogue in this. He's married to um, Elizabeth Ashley, and they own this ranch. And they're, you know, Harry Dean Stanton... And I think Richard Bright is the name of the other guy. They're his his cow hands. And, uh, you know, so it becomes a thing where he wants to investigate this rustling that's happening because they're able to get away with it for whatever reason. They're, the ranch is too big and they can't quite figure out how to catch these guys. We're just going to check the livestock report and see what hooves was going for. Uh, <laughs> shut up, Kurt. How in the hell did they get in here? I'm going to close that road. It can't. It's a fire road. I'll go to hell and I'll see the governor and close that road. I've closed service roads all over Montana. I'm not going to have a west that's not free. And I'll not have my stock breaking the legs in gopher burrows. And I'll not have a west that's not free. And at this point in the 20th century, I'm not going to be played by rustlers. When's that copper mechanic in here from Billings? Wednesday. Will you tell him we hunt predators, airlift big game, and crack rustlers with this son of a bitch? And we can't afford carburetor trouble in blind canyons again? Yes, sir, John, I'll tell him. She sure sounds good to me now, though. One more bit of engine trouble. And I stand up at the Cattlemen's Association and announce what a piece of shit this thing is. Let's get the hell out of here. Um, so Jeff Bridges and Sam Waterston have a big heist of a bunch of cows they want to set up. And they end up having to get friendly with the, the cow hands, you know. And one of my favorite scenes in all of 70s cinema is a really simple shot of Jeff Bridges and Harry Dean Stanton playing Pong, the original arcade game Pong, <laughs> in a bar. And so it's it's the shot of the screen of Pong, which is just, you know, two two paddles, basically, and a little dot skipping back and forth. And they're clearly, like, really playing Pong hmm. because you can hear that this dialogue scene plays out in such a way that they're kind of commenting on how the game is going. Um but it's one of my favorite shots because it's just their faces reflected in this pong game, and they're talking about this rustling that's happening, and it's just wonderful. You figure to be the same, uh, same rustlers? You know the ones we've been reading about? Oh, I know who it is. Oh, you do. Huh? Mm-hmm. Look, if you bring your man back in the middle each time, you're gonna play a lot better. Oh. Cause I beat you two straight already, and we're gonna play best three out of five for championship of the universe. <laughs> well, who is it? Oop. Who's what? That's Russell off your stat. Oh, come on, Jack. Tell me. It's you. No, seriously. No, I am serious. You're the rustler. Now, why do you... Why do you say that? 
Well, me and Bert told the old man that we want to come to town and uh, wanted one more chance to catch the rustlers, you know, the culprits. And uh, we told him we want to come into town to run down some leads. And it's the only way we was going to get the night off. And since you and Cecil are the only two we talked to, then uh, you got to be the hot leads. <laughs> but I do have to believe in my heart that you are the rustlers, or my conscience going to hurt me, and uh, all I want to do is drink and play these your bar games. It's a wonderful scene, two of my favorite actors, and an arcade game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just it's so perfectly up my alley. Um, so anyway, that's wonderful. But then, you know... Clifton James, uh, he hires this stock detective, this really famous stock detective who apparently has solved all kinds of crimes like this for years, but he's super old and he's played by Slim Pickens. <laughs> so you've got a great, you know, representative of the old West and Slim Pickens comes out and he brings along, you know, his young niece, this really, uh, good looking gal. I know who plays, I'm trying to remember who plays, I think. Her name's Charlene Dallas. Um, she's great. She reminds me of um, Lee Purcell, mm-hmm. who is in Big Wednesday. She's in Valley Girl. She's one of these crushes that I have. And so she reminds me a little bit of Lee Purcell. She's wonderful in this. Um, and Patty Darbinville is in this. She plays a girl, kind of a rich kid that... Um, Lee, Lee Purcell also... and Kid Blue, too. Oh, is she in that also? Yeah, she's, oh, she's love the it. love interest. Yeah. That's... Oh, I love it. She's fantastic. I really... I adore her. She's wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so Patty Darvinville plays a character in this that um, Jeff Bridges is into. And so there's another great actor from this period. But it's just wonderful to see Slim Pickens show up and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. So you sort of watch how his investigation plays out and Clifton James is, you know, getting blustery about it. And, you know, uh, Elizabeth Ashley is trying to placate him and stuff and their interplay is really wonderful. So it's just really neat to see how the whole thing plays out by the end, but it's, it's a lot of hanging out, a lot of, you know, characters waxing philosophical or just saying random shit to each other. Like at one point, Jeff and Sam Watterson are driving and he's like, Cecil, do you ever watch chickens fucking? (laughs) And he's like, well, I wouldn't say watched. And he's like, well, have you listened? You know, just like, that's like a little bit of dialogue from this movie. (laughs) It's like goes nowhere, has nothing to do with anything, but it's just super fun. And these characters are just affable and quirky in this way. That's almost like, I don't want to say Ashby again because I feel like I call that in way too much. I think we both do anything that's like quirky or quirky. It's like a shorthand for us. Heartfelt and quirky is no, it is. You know, I always, I always. Here's what I think of when I think of the Ashby quirkiness. I think of you know the weird general character in in um, Harold and Maude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know the guy who's got the fake arm. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of interaction is what I'm talking about when I talk about Ashby sometimes. Like a quirky, weird, offbeat character that's kind of funny. And, you know, that is the thing that's imbued in a lot of the movies that I call out as Ashby-esque. So, you you know, you could throw that in the mix if you want. But overall, it's a great commentary on the West. Oh, my God, I totally forgot. The, the And I, I texted you this, but I forgot to mention it. Um, uh, Sam Watterson's dad... Played by Joe Spinell. You ain't doing no crime or nothing. No offense intended. I don't know what you mean. I mean there ain't no visible means of support. 
and this boat, you know, and that jazzy pickup truck. I've had about 150 jobs in the last month. All right, it's all right. Well, let me tell you another thing. I have seen more of this state's poor cowboys, miners, railroaders, and Indians go broke buying pickup trucks. The poor people of this state are dope fiends for pickup trucks. As soon as they get 10 cents ahead, they trade in on a new pickup truck. The families, homesteads, schools, hospitals, and happiness of Montana have been sold down the river to buy pickup trucks. It is a sickness here worse than alcohol and dope. It is the pickup truck death. And there is no cure in sight. That's right. So, That's right, yeah. Just adding another layer of PCP approved, approvedness yeah. on top. Uh, they've got a couple great scenes together where it's just him and Joe Spinell hanging out. Joe Spinell wears like this like white fedora with like a little <laughs> feather in it. You know, it's just really, and he, they, they seem to, I think they've old aged makeup him a little bit to make him look a little older. Cause I don't think that he's that much older than, um, than Sam Waterston ultimately, but that's a great little aside, you know, just this movie has way too much good stuff going on. If you're, if you're not aware of it, um, definitely check it out. It's certainly one that I found through Danny Perry's guide for the film fanatic. It was listed in there. It's a cult movie through and through and through, um, available streaming on all the major platforms for sure, but definitely needs a Blu-ray. And I'm hoping Kino has been doing a lot of this kind of thing and a lot of MGM based stuff. And it's an MGM movie right now. So, uh, definitely hoping to get a Blu-ray from Kino on this one at some point or criterion, but it seems more likely a Kino would be the one. Yeah. I'm glad one of our most approved directors who's probably come up. I mean, I, yeah, just he's come up time after time. Frank Perry's made on the list. Cause I, I did think about his more traditional Western, even though it's untraditional, uh, doc starring Stacy Keach was one. I was contemplating rewatching again. Uh, it's, I've always felt it's a little flat, like it's a really interesting movie, but it, it just, I, I have to see it again. I started on a pretty kind of a bootleg copy, you know, years ago when I first started getting into Perry. So, um, I, I would like to see that one again, but I like that you went with something that's like more contemporary, you know, with the Western as kind of its shadow, you know? which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely commenting on the end of the West and rustlers and it's, it's silly and it's barely a Western in that respect, but I still feel like it really is, you know, definitely having a conversation with and being aware of a lot of films that came before it and stories that came before it and characters in that way. That's, I don't know, just delightful for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's really just from the opening theme song by Jimmy Buffett, it's just absolutely sets a perfect tone for me and never lets up ultimately. Just again, like I said, this was one that I've loved since the mid 90s, I guess, when I discovered it on VHS and used to throw it into my employee pick section, you know, and rarely got anybody to bite on that, unfortunately, because it's just offbeat enough that, you know, it just wasn't going to catch the college campus audience that I was dealing with. But I feel like, you know, our listeners would definitely go for this. It's, it's definitely something they'll, they'll like. I think, and I think before I discovered the swimmer, I think I got it mixed up with um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and thought I'd already seen it. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, Oh no, it's a totally different movie. I don't know what it was. (laughs) Something about the two of them. I mean, they were both are kind of offbeat, but uh, uh, yeah, no, it's a great movie and uh, it's, it's good. So you, that's a, if you just watched our two number ones, you'd have total opposite kind of double feature which would be a lot of fun yeah um and so yeah well let's uh, now that we kind of 
got through our core highlights. Uh, are there a few? I think we had a couple that in common that didn't quite make our list. And sometimes it's not because it's you know a lesser movie. Like for instance, the one I watched last man, it was like two nights ago, is definitely a much better movie than my number five, uh, which is Long Riders. I I finally watched the Blu-ray of it because I hadn't seen the blue oh, yeah. yet, and the Blu-ray is. I mean, if you want somebody to recommend a Blu-ray to buy right now, it's this Blu-ray. It's two discs, and one of the discs is all just extras, and it's like all the different brother pairings, you know, discussing the movie. Uh, so if you don't know, this is like Walter Hill, 1980. They were nine men. They were four families of brothers. They rode together from Missouri to Minnesota and from Texas to Tennessee. They were the most famous outlaw heroes of the West. They were known as the Long Riders. This is their story, and it's as close to the truth as legends can ever be. Now you don't give us no trouble, mister. I want your sons, Mr. Samuel. What do you want them for? For robbing banks and trains, ma'am. What do you think your chances are of bringing them in? It's an amazingly stupid question. Wait for them to come out. People say they got one of the youngers. People say they got the wrong younger. You men did an excellent job of making heroes out of every one of those gentlemen. I think I'll write me a book. Make myself even more famous than I am. But it's like the Quaid brothers, the Carradine brothers, three of them, uh, the, the Keach brothers, uh, Christopher and Nick Guest, which I didn't realize. So I, I didn't realize that Christopher Guest is actually the, the guy who assassinates Jesse James. I'm like, holy shit. It's like yeah. the guy, it's waiting for Guffman is the guy who, <laughs> which really shocked me. Uh, obviously, we haven't talked about the assassination of Jesse James by the character Robert Ford. But, uh, you know, that, so it's kind of fun. Having seen that, you know, in the last few years and then watching Long Riders again, it's fun to see the film that kind of ultimately leads up to that moment. Um, and it's just such a great movie. And it's, oh. and it, yeah, I mean, it should be on this about, list, but I, I kind yeah, of thought it would just say, be on yours in my, in my brain. I like, thought it would be on yours yeah, because so. it's one of those where it's like Walter Hill. I mean, we're such a Walter Hill love fest. I yeah. was almost like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, you know? a little bit. But you know? yeah, we have to talk about Long Riders is an honorary you know, part of both of our lists for yeah. sure. And, and the, absolutely Walter Hill through and through and a great Western. And that, that casting gimmick is such a good gimmick. Brilliant because they really were brothers and it. And, you know, James Keach, you know, Stacy's brother is Jesse James. So this guy, I haven't seen him in much. He looks very much like Stacy, but it adds so much authenticity when you're watching these guys and the guy who steals it for me. I think, I think David Carradine, it's actually one of my mm. favorite David Carradine roles. I think he's Fantastic. awesome in it as one of the, well, and that's the other thing. It's not just Jesse James. It's the James and the youngers. And then that, was kind of the original bent to it that it's about these two gangs who work together two sets of brothers um but on that disc there is a brilliant extra tying back to the origin of this episode of um walter hill discussing in depth his working relationship with peckinpah and the influence on him and there's just some really good anecdotes uh and there's just some really funny stuff about a conversation they had about slow motion (laughs) and whether whether walter hill was ripping him off in this movie and stuff like that it's 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 worth the money for the disc alone um so that's a case of a movie that's a better movie than some of the movies on my list but there were movies that you know were uh interesting to me and sometimes when you put together the because it's because there's something you know you're interested in exploring which is fun yeah well i've got one that ties into that directly and that's um the great northfield minnesota raid 
from 1972. Ah, which is the same by... story, right? Basically. Yeah. Same, yeah. Gangs, yeah. the James and Younger gangs, yeah. uh, robbing a bank in Northfield, Minnesota, um, directed by Phil Kaufman before he would do any of his, you know, most known stuff before, uh, invasion of the body snatchers before the right stuff before the wanderers. Um, and it's got Cliff Robertson, Robert Duvall, RG Armstrong, um, in some of the main roles. Uh, and then, you know, a bunch of great backup characters like Dana Elkar, Donald Moffat, uh, Alicia Cook Jr. Um, I feel like there's a couple more Barry Brown, you know, a bunch of people actually Barry Brown comes up in another pick that I've got in a second here, but yeah, that one was neat to revisit only on DVD as far as I can tell. So not that easy to see right now, but, um, but still really interesting. Yeah. Uh, what else is on your? Well, I know, I know list? one we have both on that missed both our lists, but could easily be high up on either of our lists as Bad Company by Robert Benton. September thirtieth, eighteen sixty-three. Our plans have changed somewhat. I have fallen in with some rough types, but it seems to be the only way to get to the West, where I can find my fortune and make my parents proud. I resolve never to do a dishonest act or take part in any thieving, robbing, or false undertaking. I will always keep to the straight and narrow, so help me God. Wait! God damn, I feel like I'm running barefoot and horse. Come on! Yes, sir, we're going to have some high old times. Living off the land, hunting and fishing. That's a racket, you know, living off the land. We're starving, Jake. Nobody's going to turn starving boys away. Besides, there's always some kind of work that needs to be done around a farm. Chores? I ain't doing no chores. If you're going to pull a gun on somebody, you better fire it about a half a second after you do it. Because most men ain't as patient as I am. Yep, yep, that's a great one. And another Jeffrey Lewis bad guy. <laughs> and another Jeff Bridges, you know, uh, Western. Yep. You know, so, and Ed Lauder, and uh, I told you, I texted you too, David Huddleston is in this movie, so you've got um, the, the two Lebowskis meeting yeah, each other for hilarious. the first Which time. Which I did not pick that until, like, you texted me, and I was like, oh my God, that's him. He's, like, the main bad guy in it. Uh, yeah. The big Lebowski, and it's Barry Brown. Yeah. You know, an actor who had, uh, obviously, you know, a very short uh, short career, but a very, you know, was really good. And th- so, if people haven't seen this one, it's it's all about kind of the draft dodgers uh, during the Civil War, and uh, Barry Brown's a young guy kind of gets away from uh, the draft, and people are being arrested for it, and uh, he meets up with some other stragglers, Jeff Bridges, and it's just really them, just kind of, it's a total hangout movie. Uh, while they're kind of all on the lam, all trying to rip each other off constantly, um, but there's one of the best shootout sequences I've ever seen. The shootout with them and the bad guys, Jeffrey Lewis and that in the in the forest is so because it's not that kind of movie. You're watching such a hangout movie that you're not expecting any real well, and like a coming gun. of age movie, yeah, sort of yeah. almost. Yeah. And so suddenly when it when guns are drawn, especially Barry Brown, who you haven't really seen shoot anything, suddenly they're like badasses and it's a it's an amazing sequence. It's it's phenomenal. Um yeah, it's a great movie. And that's Robert Benton, you know, so coming off having written um Bonnie and Clyde a couple years earlier. Uh 
And there's a great interview with him where I think he touches on it a bit with Alicia Malone, our last guest or one of our last guests um, on her old podcast, Filmstruck. Uh, it's a terrific interview with him. Oh, I missed that one. I got to check uh, out that it's episode. It's terrific. Like he really goes into all these movies. Yeah. Here's the thing. So Bad Company missed my list by just a hair, yeah. just a tiny, tiny bit, because what I had going was I was going to pair it with uh, another movie that I love and that I rewatched but didn't end up being quite enough of a Western Western for me to really put it on the list. And then I was like, okay, I got too much Jeff Bridges on this list as much as I love him. Yeah. Um, but so bad company I love. And then there's a movie called hearts of the West from 1975 directed by Howard Ziff. Mm. And um, it's a really fun one because again, it's like Rancho Deluxe and that it's sort of commenting. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays this, you know, Iowa farm boy named Lewis Tater, which I love. Yeah. Um, who goes out to Hollywood and is a writer. He wants to be a writer. He sort of stumbles into uh, doing a little acting on some Western serials. This is set, I want to say this is set around the Depression era. I can't remember what year, but it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely around that time. Uh, so he sort of stumbles into the set of, uh, you know, one of these serials and Andy Griffith shows up again. He's he's one of the background actors. Um, but Alan Arkin plays the director of like these westerns, and Alan Arkin is fucking amazing. I love him, and he's perfect in this kind of like you know um, over <laughs> sort of overdone uh, you know director kind of role. He just kills it. He absolutely kills it. Um, and so Bridges sort of falls into the Hollywood, it's more a Hollywood story than it is a Western at the end of the day, although there is a lot of Western milieu with him um, showing up in these little movies and then ultimately, you know, moving up, moving his way up to being a higher than a bit player kind of role. And, but it really is more about a, a, a kid moving to Hollywood and, and figuring out the ropes and that kind of thing. But I, I thought it was, it was interesting to mention on this show. I think it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, I want to see that. That sounds like a, oh, a me kind of I movie. think you would like this one a lot. He plays, a, it's very nerdy. He's a mm. very nerdy sort of character in the way that he talks to everyone. And um, another great little bit in it is that Blythe Danner plays like a script girl and <laughs> she's delightful. She's like a total... Um, again, Howard Hawks, Hildy Johnson kind of throwback kind of character, like very, um, independent, but adorable, like adorable. Like she looks like Gwyneth, you know, does, you know, sort of when she was in her heyday in the nineties, that's what she reminds me of. Obviously being her mom, she reminds me of that in this movie and she's great. She's sort of the love interest. She takes an interest in Jeff Bridges, despite him being just the nerdiest of the nerds. And there's something I find really sweet about that whole bit. Um, but yeah, Donald Pleasance has a small part. Um, Alex Rocco, Richard B. Shull. Hmm. Like basically the, the impetus for the movie is that Jeff Bridges' character is taking a correspondence course for writing uh, with this, you know, company, I forget this studio or company or whatever they're called out in Hollywood. And he's like, you know what? They're a college course or they make, they make them out, out themselves out. That's right. They make themselves out to be a college. He's like, I'm going to go out there and, and enroll in person. And of course he goes out there and finds that it's just a PO box. It's just Richard B. Shull and, um, oh shit. I, you'd recognize this other guy that he plays like the bad guy in, 
the naked gun, <laughs> like the oh, one yeah. that comes in on her in the shower. Like yeah, he's the bad yeah. guy in everything. You totally recognize this guy. Anyway, those guys are running around trying to get Jeff Bridges because he accidentally stole a bunch of their money that they'd collected from their, you know, scheming uh, correspondence course. And then a whole bunch of other people show up like Marie Windsor, Dub Taylor. Uh, it's just an amazing uh, supporting cast. So I'm a sucker for that stuff. And I thought, that I could somehow squeeze it into the list, but it just didn't quite fit. So um, anyway, I've gone on far too long about that. Yeah, that sounds interesting, that one, yeah. Hearts of the West, another one of huh. my pick. I haven't even heard of that title. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I've got a couple, like, I was, you know, when you're trying to, I mean, this, I, I feel like this is kind of fun also to, like, you know, list making because it's, like, what you're looking for on a spot. And, like, one of the things I was looking for was kind of the offbeat that probably Kid Blue ended up, filling but um i'd never seen handy calder before uh directed by burt kennedy oh i almost rewatched that myself you know and, and it's it's really interesting movie so i mean it's obviously great to talk about in a postmodern sense because it's you know it's a woman gunslinger uh it opens with basically raquel welch just who's you know unbelievably attractive at this point in her career and she is uh her husband basically three uh three you know yahoos come <laughs> come rolling through her uh, hacienda and uh kill murder and cold blood her husband and it's in the middle of nowhere and of course uh she ends up being uh, you know raped and abused uh, and her house lit on fire and left for dead by these three guys and that's one of the problems i have with it there's parts of this movie that are just really fantastic and i think she's really good um but it has a weird tonal issue where it's like it in it, it, one hand it wants to be a very serious and in a sense rape revenge film but it's set in the West and on the other, it's kind of treats some of those sequences as really goofy. And the, th- and one of the problems is like you literally cast as the three rapists, three of my favorite actors of all time and yours, uh, especially when I'm talking about the West and it kind of, it's hard to want, not want to see them in that light, which is Ernest Borgnine, Jack Elam, you know, once upon a time in the West opening Love and him. Struther Martin playing yes. a goofball and he's playing really and they play it really goofy so they're goofy but then the rape scenes are really intense and vicious and her flashbacks to it obviously are really scarring so the tone of that is a little weird to me you sometimes have to just commit like is this going to just be a super dark film but um what is really great in this film and it's one of the great roles in a western is robert culp in this movie who you're a big fan of i know from uh what's the uh film we hickey and boggs which we both love and obviously i was a kid who grew up on greatest american hero was like my favorite show when i was a kid um he is so good in this he basically is the gunslinger who comes across her after she's been abused and uh you know he's trying to get some water from her uh, well, and she he realizes what's happened to her, and he's trying to be real careful with her. She basically will do anything to learn how to be a gunslinger and get revenge on these three guys. And that's the whole story from there on is just that. And he takes her under his wing because he, he's incredible. Um, but for fans of genre cinema, and I say genre meaning horror in this case, uh, it has the greatest cameo, which I was not expecting in this movie, which is he has to get a special gun for her made because it's meant to be a little lighter uh, because she's a woman, <laughs> as they would say in this movie. Uh, and they go to this gun 
uh, maker in the middle of nowhere. He's like on the uh, on like um, next to water, and it's Christopher Lee, and it's crazy. Oh, yeah. And I just couldn't. The idea of seeing Christopher Lee in an American western is reason to watch a movie alone. And he is awesome because he's not playing a bad guy. He's playing this awesome guy who's trying to help them, and he's really good in it. And he gets a, he even gets an action scene at one point, and it's really fun to watch. Uh, watch. The, so I, I really like this movie. There's a great deal I liked. I just think I want to warn people up front because of the way some of the you know. Rape is obviously the story because it is literally a rape revenge film. Um, but but as a Western, it's really interesting, and she becomes really kick ass. And I think she she does become quite a kind of you know pretty uh, interesting early example of what we'd see later with Sharon Stone in The Quick and the Dead, which I like a lot. And Bad Girls is a film. You know, there's a few yeah. there's a few movies in that that are usually kind of silly, but uh, you know Sharon Stone's playing it really serious in a similar vein. Um, but yeah, so I so yeah. I do recommend this one, but. Yeah, I was close. I was close to. I got the Olive Films Blu-ray. They did a nice signature collection edition of it, and I was about to rewatch it, but I did remember that rape at the front, and I was like, Nah, I just don't know if I want to. And I remembered how much it it bothered me. Again, same thing you're saying in that I like those actors, and I didn't like to see them doing that. You know, when and I say it, there's there's a... rape scenes and then there's gang rape, and there's just something yes. really tough even though it's yes. obviously truthful to situations that happen in these kind of in the world in general, but also especially in, I'd say in the old West, when you're as vulnerable as that, if you're the sole yeah. woman in, in an area like that, it's going to be, but it's, it's another to have to sit through and, you know, take that in. It's, yeah. And, and then it's at the front of the movie too. It's just kind of like, Oh, it's tough, but, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of, and Culp is great in it. it so, I forgot about the Christopher Lee. That's a great scene. There's a lot to like about it. No, it's really um, it's interesting. And look, she she yeah. gets her. She gets hers. No spoiler yes. needed. So if you yeah. if you can if you can handle rape revenge movies, you know, then just know that this is one where, uh, you know, she gets to she gets to become a, a heroic kind of figure or a dark hero. It's not it's not necessarily heroic because uh, Robert Culp's character keeps reminding her, if you do this, you stop being you. You know, if you take action and shoot a person for revenge, you will no longer be the person you are anymore and it's a big deal that he tries to warn her against but uh he he's really fantastic in it i i gotta say um so that that one was a near miss yeah and and i had one more near miss for me uh and mostly because of availability i went to look it up and it, it came out on dvd from warner archive but now it's out of print and it's like 70 or 80 dollars and it's not streaming anywhere and i was like well that's no fun i don't want to recommend something that's going to cost that much money uh it's called the wrath of god it's from 1972 it um, stars our man Robert Mitchum, oh. and uh, it is basically about. It's sort of a guys on a mission movie. It says set in the 1920s, several foreigners uh, held by a South American military group are offered possible freedom if they accept to topple a local crazed military leader. So basically, Mitchum is part of this group, and he plays uh, a preacher or a fake preacher who ends up like you know, having like a machine gun and <laughs> they have a great assault on this military leader also stars Frank Langella, Rita Hayworth, Victor Bueno. Um, I feel like there's a couple other recognizable faces in there, but anyway, it's good. It's a good movie and it's a good later Mitchum role. Nice Western bit for him. Um, you know, kind of a return to and comment on night of the hunter and that he's a fake preacher. Um, you know, so that's kind of neat. Um, but like I said, not really available, so didn't want to push it on people too hard. But if you look, you might be able to find it somewhere online. But yeah, The Wrath of God was my last. Yeah. I got to see that because, um, you know, me and Mitchum, uh, I got to. Yeah, that's when I, I'll loan it to you. 
Yeah, and I was trying to fill a... I've decided, I think, our next one, when we hit Westerns again, we should just do Spaghetti Westerns. I think that's a good top five. You know, that's a good five because, sure. and it gives us a lot of new views. I, I was looking for the right Spaghetti Western to kind of fill the role that ultimately went to the last hard men because of the kind of tone. And so I'll just, I won't even go deep on these three. I'll just list them. Um, one that came very close and I really liked it. Um, and I hadn't seen any of these movies. Uh, Kioma talk about movies where we talk about a lot recently, where you love to say the name of the actor, uh, Malone. And what was the other <laughs> one? We had another one. Um, Oh, in shoot. the last calendar, another one came up. Yeah. There's Malone. One other, well, Kioma is said about a hundred times in this movie. We're Kioma! <laughs> um, but the reason this is familiar territory for PCPites is uh, Enzo G. Castellari directed this. So he's usually making these badass police uh, thrillers, uh, Policitazi. Uh, this one's from 76. It is uh, Franco Nero. It's definitely one of the a great Nero roles. I think he's playing a half breed and he's an outcast from his family because his dad had a, a kid with a Native American and then the these three like white boys you know who are gonna inherit the farm but Franco Nero's character has become like one of the ultimate gunfighters and kind of comes home uh while the hometown is kind of under assault and has got a got a great uh Woody Strode supporting role as well but it's really fun and really it's it's a bit of an epic to be honest I'd call it a spaghetti western epic highly recommend that one uh one I will not recommend at all uh and it was incredibly <laughs> clunky but the reason I'm bringing it up and I'll mention it on shockwaves too it's a slasher and it's always interesting. It's called A Knife for the Ladies. Had never even heard of this film um, from the mid-70s. It is not a good enough Western or slasher, but it is both of those things. It opens with a you know the prostitute being slashed and her throat being cut. And then it's like three other women had been slashed. So it's kind of like giallo slasher, but set in the Old West. And I wish that that was a good thing. You know, I wish I could be like, you have to see this. Instead, it's like a curio. Because I know, I know people who are really you know, would watch anything that is horror slash Western because they're hard to, you know, there's only a handful. Um, so it is definitely ticks that box, but it, it just was a little uh, plodding. Um, so never came close to this. And one last one was called um, Manaja, which was a man called Blade, which, you know, kind of like Kioma. This one's directed by a, sla- a guy who made a lot of slashers and a lot of uh, Giallo, Sergio Martino uh, from 77. It's really well made. It just didn't quite grab me that much. It has a couple amazing scenes where it's more the gore, where the guy literally uses a blade and so he like throws it at you know a guy and just cuts his arm off so it has kind of that <laughs> you know that kind of fun ridiculous violence but it, it doesn't really to me it didn't hold up quite to the level that Kioma did and Kioma came pretty close to getting on my on my list here but uh it's good you know and these were all on Amazon Prime they're they're you know all uh available so it'd be fun to do a follow-up where we both kind of dive into some of the ones we might not know from the spaghetti westerns or or paella westerns from Spain yeah, I'm down for that, man, definitely. But there's some great stuff. stuff. It was fun getting to see. I mean, I watched, you know, a good 11 or 12 films, you know, and it was just, I could have stayed in there for another year. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Western sideshow. Yeah, but it was good. Um, so, yeah, so so that's, that's our uh, list and some honorables in there. Yeah, good stuff. Hopefully, um, I think one of my bigger concerns with doing a Western show was I was afraid, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but that, you know, maybe our audience isn't as into them as I would hope, but I, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably um, out of my gourd, and a lot of people have been waiting for this episode and wanting us to talk about Westerns. But here's the thing. If you're not a Western person and you love movies, I think you just need to maybe find a couple of the right ones and 
I can't see you not falling in love with the genre in the way that we have. Um, it may not be your favorite ever, but there's something about it that, like I said, is so cinematic and so wonderful. And I just, like you say, you can get in the mode of watching them. And once you do, like you could just stay there for a while. I think you know? it's so. easier to watch a Western with other Westerns than it is to just occasionally go watch a Western. I can't explain that, but it's yeah. like you, you slow down to that world and that time period. And then you, then watching a bunch in a row, you look for the nuances. Like, like what you were yeah. just saying, if somebody isn't a big Western person, well, think about this. If you're a comedy person, we both listed a couple comedies. If you're a horror person, then you're probably going to uh, really love, uh, you know, High Plains Drifter. If you are looking for something like Art House, you know, The Hired Hand. Like, so I think we've listed movies that it's, it's, it's more of a time period and uh, certain tropes, but within that, they bend incredibly to different directions, and uh, especially maybe even more so in this period than in the classical Western period of the you know fifties and sixties, where obviously those movies are going to have maybe more in common. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, there's so much good stuff to be had, and if we do a pre Wild Bunch Westerns, you know that that's a oh, that's even harder for me. I was kind of glad I didn't have to deal with the fifties because the fifties is actually one of my favorite periods for Western cinema, you know, you've got Bedecker and, and Rio Bravo and other things and some of my favorite movies. And, um, it's going to happen, dude, we're going to do it. We're going to, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but that's going to be a nightmare for me to pick. Uh, cause there's so much good stuff there, but yeah, it, I just think, like you say, there's a lot of stuff in a lot of different, it's such an, an old genre that it's been neat to see how it's been approached over the, you know, hundred years. It's been, you know, showing up in cinemas. So hopefully one of these, inspires you to go check out a Western and maybe get on a Western kick. You may be right about watching them in a row is maybe an easier thing. And that's why some people don't just dip in here and there. Cause you kind of got to dive in, you know, but um, I would love to inspire some of the listeners out there to do that. If they haven't recently or at all, uh, it's one of our favorite genres and it's taken us far too long to get to it. So I'm glad we finally did. And you never know how things are going to play. Like I got to say last, um, last year I played Unforgiven to a genre class and they were with every movie I'd shown. And when I showed Unforgiven, I was like, this one's a no brainer, right? Like this. And I, and I watched it again on the big screen and I was floored. I was like, Oh my God, this is like a perfect movie in my brain. Right. They were pretty underwhelmed. It was, of all yeah. the movies they'd seen and that of course they're all like yeah it's all right and i was like whoa so like so it just goes to show you do not know it's all generational sometimes and sometimes it's not but uh and that's a movie that obviously there's some classic movies that we're not bringing up in this time period but it's because you know we want to just kind of show some idiosyncratic picks too but uh yeah so that was super fun post 69 westerns obviously we would recommend if you haven't seen it start with the wild bunch to kind of yes. kickstart this whole uh, conversation uh but yeah once again as always uh we want a big Big, big thank you uh, to the New Beverly Cinema for uh, partnering with us. It has been a complete blast. Uh, and an equal big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, and uh, hopefully you're still going and seeing our you know monthly uh, offerings uh, from the uh, Blu-ray uh, picks to a lot of PCP radio and uh, other things that might pop up here and there. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate that. It's crazy how long that's been going and how many people have stuck with us for a lot of it. And... Um, we get that, you know, you can't have people stick with forever. You know, a lot of people want to jump in and out and we appreciate anything and everything that you can do. Um, but we really do try to make the bonus content interesting, whether people are into it for that or not. 
Uh, it's hard to say, but we're like we're putting out a couple episodes a month, shorter ones. We've got 35 plus hours of backlogged bonus content there that you can enjoy. Uh, it means a lot to us if you are able and can afford to uh, supporting the show that way. Patreon.com slash Pure Cinema Pod. Uh, also, leave an iTunes review if you could. We don't call those out enough, but it really does. As people always say on podcasts, it helps people find the show. I have no idea how the alchemy of iTunes works. I find it a little frustrating, but for whatever reason, uh, we just need more people to say they like the show. And if you do, just take a moment and do that. And uh, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated by us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, a lot of good stuff coming up. And, you know, and also stay tuned, of course, for uh, the month's uh, calendar episode, which has been a very fun thing for us because, you know, we get to talk about somebody else's curating, not our own, which is a totally unique uh, thing and very different uh, and obviously a little more guest driven. So we're having fun with this the show of ours that has morphed into being a couple different kinds of shows rather than what we started as, which is uh, uh, a lot of fun to keep changing like that. Yeah. But we love it. Yeah. Hope you do too. Yeah. So hopefully you'll discover uh, one of these Westerns uh, that we've mentioned. Uh, we had a blast discovering some of these with you. So uh, until next time. Oh, 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 oh,